Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, her salary as a teacher covers all her basic expenses, but Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has discovered that there are certain luxuries it won't pay for. Luxuries like clothing, for instance. (laughs) However, last Monday, I dropped into Madame Amelia's dress shop to price some of the items she was featuring in a post-Easter sale. In no time at all, I discovered that if Madame Amelia would let me pay for it on time, I could easily afford the sales tax on her cheapest dress. (laughs) But thanks to a proposition Madame made to me, I did leave the store with four new dresses. At breakfast Friday morning, my landlady commented on one of them. Another day, another dress. It's a beauty, Connie. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. You've no idea what it's been like to sit opposite you during this past week. Every day a new dress that looks like the first breath of spring. Glad you like them, Mrs. (laughs) Davis. But I wish you'd cheer up a little. Your dress looks like the first breath of spring, and your face looks like the last gasp of winter. (laughs) What's the trouble, Connie? Well, you know the agreement I have with Madame Amelia, don't you? Why, yes. She said she'd give you a brand-new suit free of charge if you'd introduce some of her clothes into Madison High School this week. I wasn't only supposed to introduce them, Mrs. Davis. There was also supposed to be an increase in business. Well, since you've been wearing the dresses, hasn't business increased? Twenty-five percent at Dubarry's across the street. (laughs) That's ridiculous. The jump at Dubarry's is just a coincidence. You deserve the dress anyhow. Look at the work you've done. How many other teachers would want to wear a brand new dress to school every day? I don't know. How many teachers are there in the United States? (laughs) No, I'm afraid I haven't lived up to my part of the bargain. As a matter of fact, our agreement officially terminated last night. I was supposed to return the dresses then. But you're wearing one of them this morning. I just couldn't face my old blue jersey suit for at least one more day. Besides, I figured after all this time, somebody's bound to notice me. You mean no one's paid any attention to your new outfit so far? Well, I did get some encouragement yesterday. I'd been sitting opposite Mr. Boynton at lunch for three days in a row, and each day I had a new dress on. Yesterday, he finally noticed something different about me. What did he say? He said, Miss Brooks, you've got some eraser dust on your neck. The female members of the faculty admired the dresses, but they're evidently too poor to do any buying. How about your principal, Connie? Did he comment on the transformation? Mr. Conklin hasn't commented on anything but his newest economy drive. Another one? But he just ordered a big cutback in school expenses last month. That came from the Board of Education. This is his own idea. And you ought to see him enforce it. Why, I broke a pointer the other day while he was in my classroom... And before it even hit the floor, he had snatched up the short piece and filed down the rough edge. (laughs) Then what did he do with it? He gave it to a teacher with long arms. (laughs) Oh, he's a beauty, all right. That's Walter Denton. Be right there, Walter. 
I've got to run, Mrs. Davis. Thanks for breakfast. You're welcome, dear. And don't look so discouraged about the deal with Madame Amelia. You've still got today to put it over. I'll try. Just remember this, Connie. Whether it's modeling or anything else, you only get out of something what you put into it. Believe me, Mrs. Davis, everything I've got I've put into this dress. <laughs> Walter, keep your eyes on the road. What in the world are you staring at, anyway? Just the most scintillating vision in the world. <laughs> huh? I wish I didn't have to drive at all. I wish I could just sit here and drink you in and all your intoxicating loveliness. <laughs> well, hand me a mirror. I'd like to get high, too. <laughs> Honestly, Walter, this flattery is overwhelming. Oh, it's only your due, Miss Brooks. Gosh, I've always admired you personally, but the way you've looked this last week makes the way you used to look positively hag-like. I should have quit when I was ahead. The dress you've got on today's a knockout, Miss Brooks. What are those colors in it? They're chartreuse and cerise, Walter. They are? Of course, those are the fancy names. Actually, these colors are nothing but good old, down-to-earth, plain and simple puce and magenta. <laughs> Dressing the last few days has had eyes popping all over the school. That's funny. I haven't heard a thing. <laughs> Are you kidding? Why, half the female members of the faculty look like Eddie Cantor. Of course, I'll admit it took everybody a few days to start noticing your new wardrobe, but I think I have the answer for that. Oh? What is it? Well, it's because everyone has seen you in that blue jersey suit of yours for such a long time. It got so that after a while, nobody ever looked below your face. <laughs> It sure does. Got a Kleenex? <laughs> oh, I am glad that somebody's finally noticing these outfits. I wouldn't be human if I wasn't. Oh, don't you worry about that. You're human, all right. Thanks for the affidavit. <laughs> Harriet told me you got the outfits at Madame Amelia's. Uh-huh. I told my mother about them last night, and she said she must be a wonderful dressmaker. Oh, she is? Yeah, my mother said she wants to visit the place herself, but she was wondering when would be a good time. What is she doing yesterday? I mean, any time is all right, I guess. Oh, before I forget, Miss Brooks, uh, when I spoke to Harriet on the phone this morning, she said to tell you to please stop at her dad's office as soon as you get to school. Uh-oh. It's probably in connection with this new economy drive of his. I extravagantly requisitioned a new eraser last week. Isn't this drive a pain? He's even cutting down on our athletic equipment. Here we got a big track meet coming up, and he won't provide any high hurdles for the guys to practice on. All we got is the old low hurdles. Oh, well, that isn't an insurmountable problem, Walter. What do you mean? All you have to do is put up the low hurdles and let the boys run on their knees. <laughs> Is it, and is your business urgent? It's Miss Brooks, and it can wait indefinitely. Bye. Not so fast. Come in, Miss Brooks. Now then, I'll come right to the point. The reason I wanted to... Miss Brooks, isn't that another new dress you have on? Yes, sir. Really remarkable. Miss Brooks, may I ask you a question? Certainly, sir. Are you able to dress this way on your salary, or have you come into an inheritance? No, sir. No, sir, what? 
No, sir, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> I mean, I haven't come into an inheritance. But these new clothes, how do you pay for them? Well, you see, sir, You it's don't really... gamble, do you? <laughs> oh, no, sir. Well, I don't want to pry into your personal life. After all, you've worn that blue jersey job long enough. <laughs> Suffice it to say that in the past week, you've given the rest of the faculty something to shoot at. The dresses can't be that bad. <laughs> On the contrary, they're very smart. But to get back to the reason for your being here, as you know, Miss Brooks, I am in the midst of a new economy drive here at Madison. Oh, I know, Mr. Conklin. Mr. Boynton and I discussed it thoroughly at lunch yesterday. Oh, then you're beginning to feel the pinch. Certainly not. All we ever do is talk. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm afraid everyone's feeling the pinch. Well, believe me, it's a necessary measure in these parlous times. Mr. Stone, the head of the school board, is coming over to my home this afternoon for tea. Naturally, I'm interested in impressing him with the strides we've made at Madison. Naturally. And it has occurred to me that an excellent way to convince him of the wisdom of my economy policy is to show him what a teacher such as yourself can do on a limited budget. Me? Yes, Miss Brooks. If you'd come to our home this afternoon, my wife and I would be most pleased to see you. In one of your new dresses, that is... Well, that's very nice, Mr. Conklin, but oh, I... Oh, and since it's a bit late for her to pick up anything, uh, would you consider lending Mrs. Conklin one of your other new creations? Just for the day, of course. Well, Mr. Conklin, I it's like this. I don't want you this. to think that this is a command performance, Miss Brooks, but you will be there at four, won't you? <laughs> yes, sire. Sir. Excuse me. Principal's office. Who? Oh, she's in my office right now. It's for you, Miss Brooks. Be brief, please. Yes, sir. Hello? Who is this? Madam who? Oh, yes, I know last night was the last... Yes, but I just have them back today. But I... Very well. As quickly as possible. Goodbye. Well, if you'll excuse me, sir, I'd better be getting into class. Nothing wrong, is there? Wrong? Or what could be wrong? I just don't want to be late. You know how hungry my pupils are for learning. Starved is the word. <laughs> well, you'll be at my house at four sharp, Miss Brooks, is that correct? Mr. Conklin, I'll be there with bells on, if nothing else. <laughs> Brush your teeth with Colgate, Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth? Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth? Colgate Dental Cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helped stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate's Colgate Dental Cream. It cleans your 
pinch your breath. What a toothpaste. What a pinch your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Well, by lunchtime, I had almost decided to confess to Mr. Conklin that I didn't really own any of the Madame Amelia dresses. But before making that decision, I thought I'd discuss it with Mr. Boynton. When I arrived at the school cafeteria, I purchased my lunch and had just sat down to a table when who should come walking by but Mr. Boynton himself. Naturally, he stopped immediately. Sorry, Miss Brooks. I, I didn't see your foot there in the aisle. Oh, forgive me, Mr. Boynton. I didn't mean to trip you so hard. I hope your lunch isn't all wasted. Oh, no, Miss Brooks. Luckily, my salad landed right side up. And my hamburger landed on my salad. Well, here's a napkin. You landed on your jello. Thanks. Let me help you pick up your dishes. Gosh, that was a strawberry jello I sat in. Does it look terribly messy, Miss Brooks? No, not at all, Mr. Boynton. In fact, it's rather attractive. I bet when you walk down the school steps, you'll look just like a sunset. But, Mr. Boynton, there's something I'd like to ask you. Oh, oh before you do, Miss Brooks, I'd like to pop a question to you first. Of course, it, it might be considered quite personal, but with your permission, I'll pop it anyway. If you're going to pop the question, I've been waiting for you to pop. Pop away, Pop. <laughs> Miss Brooks, that dress you've got on, isn't that another new one? Why, Mr. Boynton, you've been paying attention after all. Do you like it? Oh, very much. It's a very interesting shade. Uh, yellow, isn't it? Just where the butter landed when you dropped your tray. <laughs> it's mostly chartreuse, Mr. Boynton. Well, it's very exciting. Almost identical in shade to the skin of a young frog. <laughs> Third or fourth lovely new dress you've put on this week. How do you do it, Miss Brooks? I just drop them over my head and pull up the zipper. <laughs> of course, I, I was very fond of your blue jersey suit, too. It held a sort of sentimental attraction for me. You know, that's the suit you were wearing when we met. Yes, four years ago. Well, I, I must admit, I wasn't too crazy about it at first, but, well, it, it really grew on me. Me too. I had quite a time chiseling it off last Monday. But about those new dresses, Mr. Boynton, Ms. I'd like Brooks, to... the fact that you were able to acquire such garments on a teacher's salary is extremely commendable. Well, thank you, Mr. Boynton, but now, I've it... always admired a woman who can budget herself properly. A woman who can do that could be a real asset to a man. She could? A man could hunt for such a woman for, for years and years. Four of them, to be exact. With a clever and thrifty companion, there's no telling how far a man could go. Go, go! <laughs> I mean, continue, Mr. Boynton. Well, to, to sum up my feelings in the matter, I, I can only say that this type of woman is downright marriage timber. Timber! <laughs> now, I, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. Seeing you in these new outfits has, has opened my eyes and... There's something I'd like to say to you. Pardon me, Miss Brooks, but I've got to talk to you for a minute. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Walter, what is it? I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Just my future. What can I do for you? Well, there's a delivery truck outside from Madame Amelia's dress shop. The driver says you've got four dresses to send back. 
And send back? Yes, it's just a temporary measure, Mr. Boynton. You mean the dresses are all going to be altered, Miss Brooks? No, Walter. Like I said before, just my future. Hi, Miss Brooks. Heading for Daddy's office? Yes, I am, Harriet. I just left him. I've never seen Daddy in such excellent humor, Miss Brooks. He's sure that your new gowns will make a big impression on Mr. Stone this afternoon. In fact, he said that your little visit this morning was like a tonic to him. Wait till he hears the Mickey I've got for him now. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid I won't be able to come to tea this afternoon. Won't be able to come? But why not, Miss Brooks? And where's the gorgeous Madame Amelia dress you had on this morning? In a delivery truck on Main Street. But I don't understand. You're wearing your old blue jersey again. Where did you get that? Out of a bundle I had ready for the Salvation Army. <laughs> and gruesome story, Harriet, but I had to send the dresses back. You see, I never really owned them. I was just modeling them for Madame Amelia. If business increased, she said she would give me a free one, but it didn't, so she didn't, and I'm back where I started last week. Shall we dance? <laughs> well, don't look so desperate, Miss Brooks. All isn't lost. Then where is it? You're going to love me for this I was so captivated by those new gowns of yours That during your English class I secretly sketched two of them Then I took the patterns to home economics class And we've spent the past couple of days Making exact copies What? I know you promised to lend one to Mother So it'll work out just perfectly Of course, we made them out of Airsat's material But beggars can't be choosers And after all, the main thing is not to disappoint Daddy but don't you think your father and Mr. Stone will notice the difference? Of course not, Miss Brooks. When it comes to dresses, women have been pulling the wool over men's eyes for years. Well, Miss Brooks, what do you think of my idea? To tell the truth, Harriet, it's not bad. <laughs> I'm glad we got home ahead of Daddy, Miss Brooks. It gave me a chance to reinforce some of the weak places in this dress. Now, stand still while I pin this basting in back. Where are the pins I ask you to hold? I've got them in my mouth, Harriet. Help yourself. Your mouth? Why, that's no place to put pins. Ouch! Neither is that. <laughs> Sorry. We've got to hurry, though. I heard Daddy and Mr. Stone go into the living room about five minutes ago. I must admit you copied the style of Madame Amelia's dress perfectly, Harriet. But tell me, what kind of material did you use? Well, we started with rayon, and when we ran out, we used muslin. Some of it feels like cheesecloth to me. <laughs> oh, it's loaded with cheesecloth. But don't worry, Miss Brooks. The way I've got it basted, no one can possibly tell the difference. I'll bet your mother will tell the difference when she puts hers on. Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I haven't had a chance to tell her it's a copy. I just left it on her bed when she was getting the tea ready and then rushed back here to you. What? You mean to tell me your mother doesn't know there's nothing between her and a life of shame but some cheesecloth and a fervent prayer? <laughs> Gee, I never thought of it that way. If mother bends over or sits down too quickly, we're sunk. We're sunk? Your mother won't be in such good shape either. <laughs> You've both got to be very careful. I tell you what I'll do, Miss Brooks. If I see anything beginning to go, I'll give you a verbal signal. A verbal signal? Yes. Since we'll be having tea, I'll just say something like sugar and cream, Miss Brooks, or pass the lemon. Now, come on. Everybody's waiting for your personal appearance. With the wrong kind of a break, this can be the most personal appearance I've ever made. <laughs> but my 
not to reason why. Lead on, Harriet. Right in here, Miss Brooks. Well, here we are, Daddy. So you are. You know my daughter Harriet, Mrs. Stone. Certainly. Hello, Harriet. How do you do, sir? And Miss Brooks. Well, that is an attractive dress you have on. Thank you, Mr. Stone. I've been telling Mr. Stone about the wardrobe you've acquired recently, Miss Brooks. It certainly gives impetus to an economy drive when a teacher can do what she's done, eh, Mr. Stone? Very impressive, Conklin. And thanks to the way I manage my personal budget, Mrs. Conklin has been able to enhance her wardrobe recently. She's probably jumping into her new duds right now. I don't advise it. Oh, I see she's left the tea right here on this table. May I act as temporary hostess? Uh, please do. I'd love some tea, Miss Brooks. Uh, sugar and cream, please. So soon? <laughs> I'll pour it for you, Miss Brooks. You stand still. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. Happy to see you again. Say, that's a stunning dress you have on. Yes, you look positively ravishing, my dear. Stand just as you are. Don't move a muscle. Yes, hold it for about 45 minutes. <laughs> I don't believe I've ever seen you looking lovelier, Martha. You and that gown are a match that was made in heaven. Oh, now, Osgood. Honestly, Mr. Stone, sometimes when Osgood pays me a compliment, he gets so extravagant with his praise, I could just split. <laughs> You're holding the wrong thought, Mrs. Conklin. <laughs> and may I pour you some tea? Oh, thank you, dear, but I can pour it myself. Bending over is good for me. Oh, but you mustn't bend, Mother. Here, I'll get you a cup. Oh, I'd rather do it myself, Harriet. After all, the more one bends over, the more one takes off around one's middle. <laughs> but, Mrs. Conklin, one can take too much of one's middle. After all, it's nice to have something between one's bottom and one's top. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> why are we standing? Let's sit down, shall we? Very well. Oh, wait. Hmm? It's not healthy to sit down after a heavy meal. Heavy meal? But none of us has had anything to eat since lunchtime. I know, but why take chances? <laughs> <laughs> you and your quips, Miss Brooks. <clears throat> now, let's all be seated. Just a moment. What is it now? I propose a standing toast to our host and hostess. Hear, hear. A toast to our host and hostess. <laughs> now can we sit down? Uh, would anyone like to hear some music? Oh, that's a great idea, Harriet. Get out your phonograph record of John Philip Sousa playing the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> now stop the horse play, you two. Sit down, Mr. Stone. Now, just where were we in our discussion, sir? Mm, you were pointing out to me, Osgood, what a teacher could do on her present salary if she really tried. Ah, exactly, exactly. And not only a teacher, but anyone who lives on a budget. Take that dress my wife is wearing. Oh, now, let's not talk about me anymore, Osgood. Well, why not, my dear? Blushing becomes you. Oh, well, I'm just a little warm. I think I'll open a window in here. It's not that warm in here. Perhaps not, but I thought I'd like to let in a little more air. Uh, uh, please, Martha, just sit down. Very well. What was that? That was Mrs. Conklin letting some more air in. <laughs> Sounded like something ripping. Is that your dress, Mrs. Conklin? Oh, certainly not. It's still the same lovely three-piece suit it's always been. <laughs> Three-piece suit? Martha, stand up a minute. Yes, Osgood. 
What did I tell you? It's the same lovely four-piece suit. It's all. <laughs> With two pair of skirts. Gracious, this, this dress is coming apart at the seams. But I, I don't understand. It... Neither do I, but I'd better get into my bedroom and change. Excuse me, please. Miss Brooks, perhaps you can explain what's going on here. Uh, not now, Mr. Conklin. I'd better go in and help Mrs. Conklin change. I'm sure she can manage by herself. Now sit down, Miss Brooks. Yes, sir. Sugar and cream, Miss Brooks. Get your own sugar and cream, Harriet. <laughs> Miss Brooks, sit down. <laughs> what's going on here? Not much, Mr. Stone, but an awful lot is coming off. <laughs> I'd better pour myself a cup of tea. Oh, the lemon, Miss Brooks. Where's the lemon? It went that way. <laughs> Uncle, I think I'm beginning to see what this is all about. I beg your pardon? First, you give me all this talk about retrenching. Then you demonstrate that what a teacher can buy on her salary these days is actually nothing but junk. I've got to give you credit, Conklin. Your idea is brilliant. It is? <laughs> Certainly. You've given me a graphic display that too much economy can't possibly work in these days of rising prices. Osgood Conklin, you're really clever. Oh, come now. <laughs> Don't deserve all the credit. After all, my wife and Miss Brooks were a considerable assistant, you know. Yes, indeed. You, you and Martha would make a fine pair of actresses, Miss Brooks. Well, thank you, Mr. Conklin. I know one theater in town that would love to have us. <laughs> oh, which one is that, Miss Brooks? The Star and Garter Burlesque. Miss <laughs> Brooks returns in just a moment. Now, the case of the close scrape featuring Arthur Griffin, mail carrier. Here's what Mr. Griffin told us. Listen. Here's exactly what happened. Shaving was just one close scrape after another for me, and then I discovered palm olive lather shave cream and a new, different way to shave. Palm olive's oceans of rich, thick lather ended my worries about scrapes, burns, and nicks. Why, even in cold or hard water, that palm olive lather way is super smooth, super comfortable. Take Arthur Griffin's advice, men. The new palm olive lather way gets beards really soft, and it provides a protective film that actually floats your razor's cutting edge. You get a clean, close shave every time without worry about scraping or nicking, even in cold or hard water. Arthur Griffin and 1,200 other men tested palm olive lather cream following package directions, and three out of four reported smoother, more comfortable shaves the palm olive shave cream way. No matter how they shaved before, better get palm olive lather shave cream. Remember, even in cold or hard water, the palm olive lather way means smoother, more comfortable shaves. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, there wasn't much sense in sitting around in my drafty dress, so I said goodbye and backed out of the Conklins. When I arrived home, Mrs. Davis was most helpful and had just finished sewing me up when the phone rang. Hello? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I've been thinking of how lovely you looked in your new dress today, and I wondered if you'd like to take a little walk this evening. Oh, you, you took me by surprise, Mr. Boynton. I'm afraid I dropped the receiver. Hold on a moment. I'll pick it up. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, Mr. Boynton, but I can't see you tonight. But why not? It's a beautiful night. The moon is out. The stars are out. If this wasn't the party line, would I give you an answer? <laughs> this is Burns Smith reminding you to tune in next week to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Pomelo Shave Cream for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Allsberg with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Listen to this. With Marvellous Vell, V-E-L, you can save 90% of dishwashing work. A quick soak in Vell suds gets dishes and glassware shiny clean. Even if a bit of food should cling, a touch with a dishcloth gets rid of it fast. Yes, Vell's activated suds lift off and carry away food and grease. So all dishes need is a quick rinse, and they dry sparkling without washing or wiping. All pots and pans need is a soaking with Vell suds. Then you can wash them shiny clean without hard scouring. What's more, Vell is a miracle of mildness. So get new Vell. Save 90% of dishwashing work. If you like mysteries that are as full of chuckles as chills, be sure to hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday over this same network. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Jack Penny. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. For a Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, and Nira's Assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's Assignment by Grace S. Gross. Entertainment with all the Amos and Andy characters, plus Blood Gluskin and his orchestra, and those famous Delta Rhythm Balls. Well, the Kingfish's wife, Sapphire, has been working hard all winter, and she feels that she's in desperate need of a vacation. At the moment, she's telling her husband, the kingfish, in no uncertain terms. I want to go away on a vacation like other people do. Yeah, well, why is he yelling about a vacation all of a sudden, honey? Because I'm tired. I want to get away. I'd like to take a boat where I won't have nothing to do. Okay, sweetheart, if that's what you want. You mean it, George? Yeah, I'll meet you in Central Park at 4 o'clock, and I'll even do the ruins. Right. <laughs> We've been married for 22 years, and only one time did you come to me and suggest that we go on a little trip. Yeah, that was a nice trip, too. Yeah, but everybody goes on a honeymoon. <laughs> I never will forget that trip. That was the hardest trip we ever made. Now, what you talking about? You was at the finest hotel at Niagara Falls for a whole month. Yes, and I was the only bride there working as a chambermaid. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you something. I can't afford to take you on another vacation. 
Well, what I want to know is what's happened to that money that I put in the sugar bowl every week so we could get out of town this summer. Well, I had to dip in it so we could stay in town this winter, that's all. <laughs> George, I'm telling you that I insist on getting a vacation, and you better do something about it. Well, all right, honey. If that's the way you feel, I'll do my part. Now, that's more like it. I'll write to the hotel in Niagara Falls and see if they can use you again this year. <laughs> Henry, my wife really hopping on me about going away on a vacation. Yes, vacation talk is up in the air right now. And unfortunately, the vacation prices is in the same place. Yeah, I don't know what to do about it. Well, we ain't decided. But I know last year I couldn't get away. But Mrs. Van Porter went to Saratoga Springs to take the bath. Mm, the bath, huh? Mm -hmm. What's the matter? Was your plumbing out of order? <laughs> no, no, Kingfish. These is mineral baths. Oh, mineral Yes, you know, doctors recommend that your minerals need bathing every often so often. Well, uh, I don't know where Sapphire wants to go, but she's been nagging my head off. Tell me this, Henry, uh, what do other people in the society crowd do about vacation? Well, the Worthington Peabody's will go away this summer because their winter motor and trip to Florida didn't work out too good. Oh, didn't, huh? No, they couldn't agree on a car. She's very social, you know, and wanted a Cadillac. But he insisted on a Lincoln. Well, what happened? They stood on the highway for five hours and nothing went by but Fords and Chevrolet. Uh, they was going to hitchhike, huh? Yeah, but after their experience in getting to Florida, Mr. and Mrs. Peabody say that they'll never do it again. No, uh, why not? They claim a very low class of people is driving automobiles. <laughs> yeah, the automobile club ought to do something about it or it's going to kill hitchhiking or right? Uh... I wish I knew it some way of raising some money to take my way south out on a vacation. Well, Kingfish, why couldn't you raise some money by selling that automobile of yours? Well, that car of mine's a pretty bad wreck right now. Yes, but you know Andy has got a new girl. He ought to be a pretty good prospect for your car, Kingfish. Yeah, that ain't a bad idea. Andy is a good prospect. Yeah, I could sell him this car and that'd give me enough money to go away on a vacation. See you later, Henry. I'm going prospecting. <laughs> Congratulations, Andrew. I hear you got a new girl. Yeah, and I'm crazy about her, too, Kingfish. I even like her mama. Mm -hmm. Oh, this gal is really sweet. Yeah, what kind of a car do you take out riding in, Andrew? I ain't got a car, Kingfish. No car? No. You mean that this is a pedestrian courtship? <laughs> and everybody that's courting a gal needs an automobile. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think I'll go out and look for an automobile. Well, all you got to do is look straight ahead right out there at the curb. There she sits. I'm going to sell my car. Well, I wouldn't want to buy a car like yours, though, Kingfish. Yeah, well, what's wrong with it? Come on, step outside and look the thing over. All right. I just had it fixed up. You did? Oh, yeah. The door on the driver's side now has got a handle on it. And uh, the two front fenders are tied on with solid copper wire. Oh, yeah. Hey, there she is. Look over there. What make car is that? Well, it's got Chevrolet wheels, Pontiac radiator, got Oldsmobile fenders, Buick springs, and a Cadillac hubcap. Uh, you was here at General Motors, ain't you? Yeah. Well, this takes in the whole corporation. Well, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, let me open the door here and look inside. Yeah, go ahead, open the door. Nice tune, is it? The thing I want to hear is the motor. 
started up one. Uh, you want to hear the motor, huh? Uh, you sure of that, huh? Yeah, that's the main thing. Go ahead, start it up. Okay, let me get down here, sit down here in this thing. Here we go. <laughs> Cheap gas. That motor sounds bad, you know it? Well, I think a speck of carbon got in the cylinder head somewhere there. Maybe a fly brought it in, you know, to fly around with it. Listen, start that thing up again. I want to hear that again. Hear it again. All right, I'll start it. Here we go. signatures on anything, it is good as gold. Yeah. Now, here, I'll sign the thing right here now. Yeah. Now, here's all the papers, here's the keys to the car, now give me the money. All right, so, here you is, King. Oh, thank you. Hey, wait a minute. This ain't money. No, but like you say, it's good as gold. <laughs> it's that I owe you for $75 with your signatures you gave me three years ago. So long, King. <laughs> Oh, 
is you? Well, I'll be doggone it for that. I'm surprised. I didn't expect it. But what's good? I'll be doggone it. Hi, Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kingsley. Hi, Sorry, I believe I'll sit down in your barber chair here and have a shave and a haircut. I, I refuse to give a haircut today, Kingsley, but I'll, I'll give you a shave. Yeah, well, why will you shave me and not give me a haircut? I'm too nervous to hold a pair of scissors. Shorty, <laughs> uh, I come here to tell you that me and my wife has been invited by a friend of hers to take a cottage uh, uh, up in Canada for a vacation. Canada? I, I went down to the depot last summer to, to, to buy a ticket for Canada. Yeah, well, uh, where was you going? I, I, I was going to Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, to, to, to catch, I, 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 that's why I didn't go. <laughs> uh, tell me this then, Shorty, you ain't never been to Canada, huh? Oh, yeah, years ago, I used to make my living up there trapping. Was you a good trapper? Oh, I, I, I was the fastest trapper in Canada. The very fastest. Jonah? Oh, yeah. One day I went out into the woods. I set the trap. I covered it up very careful. I stayed real quiet. And in five seconds, the trap snapped. Yeah, what'd you catch? My foot. Oh. <laughs> uh, listen, Shorty, uh, me and my wife is invited up to Canada, but I done sold my car to Andy, and I, oh, I know you bought a new car this year. I'll give you $10, no questions asked, if you give up your car for two weeks. You, you give me, you, uh, give, give me the ten. Uh, there you is. Where is it? At, at the auto loan company. That's two hundred dollars due on it. Oh. <laughs> Nobody getting killed with unloaded bow and arrows. No, well, uh, 
I'd like to go up there and shoot myself a covey of mooses. <laughs> well, uh, this is the right time, all right. The moose season just opened up last week. Yeah, maybe I could get some antlers. Yeah, you're in luck again. The antler season opens up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me this, Kingfish. Uh, what kind of equipment do uh, I need to hunt moose? Well, you ain't got to have no trouble there, Andy. You just take a moose horn along with you. Okay, I'll take it. But will the moose know how to blow it? Oh, sure he will. Yeah. Is it any duck hunting up oh, there? Oh, plenty of duck hunting. The country is loaded with duck blinds. What's them? Well, that's where you hide from the ducks. Well, what you want to hide from them? You got a gun and they ain't. <laughs> how about fishing? Oh, the fish streams up there is really loaded. In fact, a friend of mine was standing on the bank putting a salmon egg on a hook. A trout jumped up to the water and bit him on the hand. He got a big scar on his hand where the trout bit him. No fool. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd like to catch one of them big stuffed fish on a board so I could hang it right on my wall. Uh, well, I tell you, uh, you spear them, you see. The nice part of it is if you miss the fish, you hit the board. You see that? <laughs> or you're bound to bring something back every time. No, Kingfish, I was just thinking, it ain't gonna work. I would be willing to drive you up there, but I know my gals want to leave town, and I ain't going without her. We done made agreement. We're going to stick together. Well, now, listen, Nanny, you owe it to me and my wife to take us up there as long as you got my automobile. Nothing doing. Well, now, wait a minute. You got it with my no good IOU, and I'm going to call up and make an appointment with my lawyer and see what I can do. Go ahead. I'm leaving. That big bum took me. Well, hello there, brother Andy. How is you? Well, Fred Wendell, what you doing in this neighborhood? Well, just been across the street getting a haircut, getting a haircut. Andy got the hair right there in my pocket. Got it right there in my pocket. Got your hair in your pocket? Yes, Andy, I'm a newspaper man. Always saves my clipping. Ha, <laughs> ha, ain't I, dog? Congratulate me, Gwendell. I just bought an automobile. Automobiles are a dangerous thing, and a dangerous thing. A few years ago, I was hit by an automobile, broke both my legs, both my legs, two legs broken. What'd you do? Well, I took the owner of the automobile in the court, and I threw him up one side and down the other. He testified, and then they called on me, but I lost the kid. How come you lost it? Didn't have a leg to stand on, ain't I, killer? <laughs> well, the kingfish wants me to drive him up to Canada. Oh, Canada's a beautiful place up there. You will love that country, Andy. Oh, that fur trapping up there is really something. Boy, that fur country up there is loaded with expensive fur. Loaded, huh? Oh, expensive fur is so plentiful up there, Andy, that even the silver foxes wear mink. Shut your mouth, Wendell, and get out of here. So long, Andy. Where 
Johnny Clark chase everyone from the place. Come on with your rain, I have a smile on my face. Walking down the lane with a happy refrain and singing, singing in the rain. And where you see clouds up on the hill, you soon will see clouds up there for dear. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for its song. Well, 
good afternoon. I'm Dr. John Smith, Ph.D., DDT, and all them things, there. Uh, Dr. Smith, what can I do for you? Well, I happen to be the personal physician uh, for Andrew Brown. And knowing that uh, you have been associated with him in a romance way, I wanted you to be the first to know. Oh, is there anything wrong with Mr. Brown, Doctor? Well, Mr. Brown ain't in the best of health. In fact, uh, three months from now, he'll be the late Mr. Brown. The late Mr. Brown? Doctor, are you sure? I'm positive. I never misses on my diagnosis. But Andrew seems so healthy. Yeah, but don't let that fool you, miss. Good health can't help a man when he's dead. <laughs> Miss, I happen to be a specialist in the field of patients that ain't got long to live. I've got some of the shortest case histories in the medical profession. I never heard of that type of specialist. Oh, well, there's something new in the business. Uh, the patients, uh, well, with patients living only a few months, it gives us doctors the longest summer vacation. You see <laughs> oh, excuse me, doctor. I'll get it. Hello, Josephine, honey. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Brown, I consider it my duty as a doctor to tell her the whole truth. Well, Josephine, now that you know that I got exactly three months to live, don't make no plans for the 28th of July. Yeah, don't make no plans for the 29th either. You might linger a day extra. I can't always think about that.
I got a right to feel low down. I got a right to hang around, down around the river. A good man in town just brought me down. All I see for me is misery. Got a right to sing the blues. I know the deep blue sea. The deep blue sea will be calling me. It's calling me. Say what you will and what you choose. I've got a right to sing the blues. I got a right to sing the blues. I got a right to moan and sigh. I got a right to sit and cry and cry down around the river. facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Peary as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. And now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve, who has just returned home after a busy day at the office to find that some new neighbors are moving into the vacant house next door. Ah, good afternoon, Marjorie. Hello, Hello Bertie. Hello, Miss Gildersleeve. Well, I see the house next door has been rented at last. Have you any idea who the people are, my dear? No, Uncle Mort, but if that ghastly furniture is any indication, their name is Frankenstein. Oh, Marjorie, you mustn't judge the people by that purple horsehair sofa or the brass bed or that stuffed moose head. He has, a, he has an awful mean look in his eye, that moose head. <laughs> Must have gotten it from our new neighbor. There's a family resemblance there, all right. Oh, Marjorie, I'm sure they're nice people. You wait and see. Oh, they have a boy a little older than Leroy, haven't they? Uh-huh. And a girl about 17 or 18 who talks faster than Walter Winchell. Oh, dear. And they also got an awful uppity cook named Snowdrop Jefferson, yes. who has informed me over the back fence that she's the sole owner of five pair of rubber gloves. Well. 
Uh, Bertie, you'll have to cultivate her acquaintance. I'll cultivate her with a hoe if she keeps snooting me. <laughs> no, Bertie, don't you want to start off by planting your best foot forward? Oh, I does, Mr. Gillsleeve, believe me. And when I gets through planting it where it'll do the most good, nothing will ever grow there no more. <laughs> now, Bertie, I won't have you starting a feud with the neighbors. A good neighbor is just like a cousin on the police force. They both come in handy in a pinch. <laughs> oh, look. Huh? They've been unpacking their boxes outside, and all the paper and trash is blowing over onto our lawn. Oh, so what, my dear? They're all finished, and the movers are leaving. Uh, they'll probably come over and clean it up. And suppose they don't. <laughs> well, you know, Uncle Mort, there are times when you surprise me. Oh, uh, live and let live, my dear. That's my motto. Why, in all years I've lived in Wispel Vista, I always got along well with my neighbors. Oh! What's the matter? Those movers, they backed into our driveway to turn around. So what? They've crushed my azalea canadensis, and now they're backing into my ligestrum ibotta. Oh, there goes my Asculus mastostrosia. Asculus <laughs> mastro what's it? For heaven's sake, what's that? It, horse chestnuts. <laughs> Help me get the window up. I'll tell those oh, people. Oh, it's too late, Uncle. They're driving away. Well, it's lucky for them. Oh, look, that heavy, heavy truck has broken the concrete in our driveway. Of all the oh, people... Oh, here I... comes the girl from next door. Oh, probably coming over to apologize for the mess they made. Well, that's different. It's a mighty good thing, too. I'll take care of this myself, my dear. Uh, how do you do, young lady? Oh, hello. I'm the girl who just moved in next door, and my name is Dorothea Dobson. Only nobody ever calls me Dorothy, and I kind of that sounds so corny, and everybody calls me Dottie, so I hope Yes, I can see why. <laughs> so you're Dottie, are you? Oh, no, I'm not Dottie. I'm Dottie. Though Mama sometimes says she fails to see the difference, and we're such an uproar that we can't find a thing, so would you please let us have a can of tuna fish and some sliced pineapple and two cups of sugar? <laughs> Wouldn't you like a couple of inner tubes, too? Uh-huh. <laughs> Good morning, huh? Come on inside. Bertie says your uh, hot cakes are getting cold and your orange juice is getting warm. Well, hello, Leroy. I'm looking for the morning paper. All over the world, hundreds of reporters risk their lives to get the news, and thousands of workers stay up all night long to print it. And our delivery boy insists on hiding the paper in the bushes. Oh, you won't find it there, Uncle. The uh, dog that moved in next door took it. Uh, Leroy, you mustn't speak of our neighbor that way. I'm not talking about him. I mean their hound. Oh? He ran over here, grabbed it in his mouth, and scrammed back home again. See, he did it just like he was trained. Yes, he seems to have a nose for our news. <laughs> well, I'll just drop in on the Dobsons and explain the situation. Oh, I hope that dog hasn't chewed up Superman. <laughs> recognize you right off, and you know why? Why? Because you look just like you did yesterday. The same suit, the same shirt, and the same tie. It's an awful monotonous. I'd just die if I had to wear the same dress every day, wouldn't you? If, yes. I mean, I don't wear dresses. I dropped over to tell you that your dog is taking the morning paper. Oh, how silly, taking the morning paper indeed. Why, even if he could read, he couldn't afford it. If... <laughs> Miss Dobson, please, let me finish. He's taking the morning paper off our lawn. It's our paper. Oh, so that's it, and Daddy thought it was a free sample. Uh, oh, Dobby! You calling me? Oh, who's a blister, sister? 
Go in the dining room. Huh? Go in the dining room and tell Daddy that paper belongs to the man next door and he's here and he wants it back, so bring it right out and if there's any egg on it, be sure and wipe it off. Okay, but I ain't seen it yet. Why do you have to come around now? Well, Tuffy will be right back, mister. Oh, incidentally, what do you think of the big news in the paper this morning? Isn't it thrilling or haven't you read it yet? Oh, of course you haven't. Well, you certainly have a surprise in store because you know what happened? Yeah, oh, excuse me. I didn't know you were going to stop. You didn't put your hand out. <laughs> Uh, no, what happened? Well, it was the most exciting thing. It seems... Oh, but here comes Tuffy. You can read it yourself. I wouldn't spoil it for anything. Here's your paper. Uh, so it is. Uh, thank you, Tuffy. You're welcome, Stuffy. You what? <laughs> All right, Bertie. We'll in the breakfast. I'm hungry enough to eat off the tablecloth. You got your paper okay, Uncle? Oh, sure. No trouble at all. You know, have to, you know how to handle these neighbors. It's all right, Leroy, that's all. Yeah. Now to read the big news she was telling me about. Well, look at this. Roosevelt and Churchill meet in mid-ocean. What, again? <laughs> uh, Marjorie, Bertie, come here and listen to this. Washington, D.C., August the 4th. The August. <laughs> Never mind, go back. It's all a mistake. What is it, Uncle Walt? What happened? That kid next door slipped me a seven-month-old paper. <laughs> Those one more tin can over this fence, she's gonna be out. Here, here, Bertie, what are you muttering about? Is that cook next door? She's flirting with a face full of skillet. Yeah. And I'm gonna knock her block off and off her, it'll look good. <laughs> now, Bertie, remember our good neighbor policy. Oh, hello, Leroy. Oh, good Yeah, wait a minute, young man. Come back here. You're all mussed up. Tuck in your shirt tail. I can't. It, why not? It's been torn off. It, Leroy, have you been fighting? Well, not exactly. That kid next door took a couple of pokes at me, and, and then I took a few swings at him. Uh, what happened? I missed. <laughs> but he didn't. Yeah. Uh, what were you two fighting about, Leroy? Well, it was something he called you, Uncle Morse. Oh, you shouldn't have fought over that. I haven't the faintest concern what that twerp says about me. What did he say? <laughs> he said you were a big, fat, stuffed shirt. Oh, he did, did he? And what did you say? I said you didn't have to stuff your shirt. Yep. <laughs> Well, I still don't think that's enough reason to start fighting, Leroy. Oh, I forgot to tell you. He was trying to rub my nose in the dirt at the same time. Oh. And look at how you skinned your knuckles. I'm going to get the eye down. Oh, no, I'll be all right. Uh, Leroy, you failed to clench your fist properly, my boy. Remind me sometime, and I'll show you the correct procedure. Gee, Uncle, did you used to be a fighter? Yes, well, not professionally. But at college, I was considered quite a slugger. In fact, they call me Big Slug for short. <laughs> yeah. However, I don't think you should carry on a feud with a boy next door. I'm sure this can be cleared up if we go over there and all shake hands like little men. Not me. I'm not going to shake hands with that rat. If Leroy, you mustn't call him a rat. If you only try to understand... <laughs> what was that? If who threw that baseball? It was Tuffy. Look, this is his ball. You're Tuffy? Why, that little rat. I'm going to call his mother right now and tell her about this. I'd like to lay my hands on that little hoodlum, and you know where and how. Hello, is this Mrs. Dobson? Madam, your son Tuffy just threw his baseball through my window. Yes, I'm sure it's his baseball. What's that? If, what? If, hello? If, she hung up. What did she say, Uncle? She said if I was sure it was her little boy's ball, I'd better return it at once or she'd call the police. <laughs> uh, come on, Leroy. Where are you going, Uncle? Outside to return this ball. Are you going over there? No, Leroy. I'm going to return it from here. You just watch this. <laughs> <laughs> 
There goes another one of our windows. <laughs> The man from next door was here uh, Mr. Dobson? What did he want? He says he wants to take you apart And see what makes you think you is as tough as you think you is Well, I don't understand I never said anything to him Well, uh, I guess I'd better be getting to bed uh, Just a second, Leroy Now, Bertie, what's it all about? You mean you didn't challenge Mr. Dobson to a fisticuffs, Fraker? I've never even set eyes on the chap well, somebody told him something most disagreeable. It's, it's way past my bedtime, folks. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute, Leroy. Did you say anything to anyone next door that might have started this? Oh, no. Only I told that toughie that he better not monkey with me anymore, or you'd show his father what a big slug you are. Uh, yes. I'm not afraid of him. Why, Leroy, how can you talk that away? That Mr. Dobson's twice as big as your uncle and only half as fat. Yes, he... What? He is? Oh, Leroy, what are you doing to me? Why, that man's as tough as a 30-cent steak. Oh, oh, he's not so tough. Leroy, you better go to bed. Let's all go to bed. Okay, um, good night. Oh, good Lord. What, what are you going to do? Now, don't worry, Marjorie. I'm sure we can settle the matter peaceably. However, just to be on the safe side tomorrow, I better find some good gymnasium where I can brush up on my boxing before Brother Dobson mops up on me. Be sure and let me know when you're tangled with Mr. Dobson. I wouldn't miss that for anything. Well, I would. <laughs> we'll hear from the great Gildersleeve again in just a moment. But first... Ever stop to think of the progress made in the last few years? Nowadays, we have planes that fly 400 miles an hour, automobiles that are marvels of speed and comfort, radios that are static-free. Yes, and there have been plenty of improvements in food-making, too. And one of the outstanding examples is parquet margarine, the delicious spread for bread made by Kraft. Why, people who remember the margarines of a few years back are amazed when they discover how deliciously good parquet margarine is. You see, parquet is not an ordinary margarine. It's one of Kraft's fine foods, outstanding for its delicate, satisfying flavor. You only have to taste parquet margarine once, spread on bread or toast or rolls, to find out how deliciously different it really is. Another thing, parquet margarine is a wholesome, nourishing food, one of the best energy foods you can serve. What's more, every pound contains 9,000 units of important vitamin A. So get acquainted with this thrifty, nutritious food. Order a pound or two of delicious parquet margarine tomorrow. Just ask for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine, made by Kraft. After a restless night, the great Gildersleeve has taken his problem to Philadelphia Phil's Physical Culture Institute. We find him dressed in gym togs, ready for his first lesson from Phil himself. Well, mister, so they did find a pair of shorts big enough for you after all. Uh, yes, these shorts are a little tight. I only got them on by a great stretch of the imagination. Okay, uh, come over here, mister. Uh, uh, Mr. Just call me Throckmorton. I want to keep it a secret. Of course. 
If my name was Throckmorton, I'd want to keep it a secret, too. <laughs> no, no, I want to keep my visits here a secret. I'm having a little trouble with one of my neighbors, and I may have to slap him a few times to bring him to his senses. <laughs> yeah, I know how it is. Now, uh, what experience have you had as a fighter? Oh, very little, except what I picked up in college and at the YMCA. Uh, you look as if the only thing you picked up at them places is yourself. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That's why I came here. I need to improve my wind if I'm going to fight. Well, the best way to improve your wind is by doing a lot of running. Mister, if I could run, I wouldn't need to fight. <laughs> well, the first thing we got to do is something about that sack of potatoes you're lugging around. If what sack of potatoes? Oh. <laughs> you mean this one? <laughs> yeah. Well, now, suppose we stop chewing the fat and start taking it off. Yes. We'll begin with uh, some bending exercises. Yeah, bending exercises? But aren't you going to teach me how to punch? No, we'll get to the punch after we take care of the uh, punch. Oh. <clears throat> All right, now, feet together, uh. arms overhead, and bend and touch the floor. Oh. No, Dr. Morton, lower. Come on, do it again. This time I'll make it easier. Yeah. Feet together. Now, bend and touch your ankles. No, no, Throckmorton, you still haven't got the idea. I've got the idea. The only thing is, I've got much equipment. No. <laughs> well, feet together, arms overhead. Now, Ben. That's it. Way down. I'll bet you haven't seen your knees in ten years. No, I get well by George. What is it? <laughs> I've got dimples. Excuse me, champ. Uh, champ? Who, me? Oh, I'm sorry. You must have made a mistake. I'm not one of the... Uh, maybe not, but... Uh? Yeah, my God. Oh, thanks. If everything from heavyweights to dog racing. <laughs> oh. Uh, You've got a terrific build for the job. Build? Yeah, and showmanship, too. Oh. You know, I've been watching you. Hey, the crowds will love you. Oh, I can't quite picture myself as a champion fighter. Fighter? Who said anything about being a fighter? You're going to be a wrestler. If a wrestler? <laughs> Well, sure, with your figure and the way you grunt and roll your eyes and with a full beard on your face, boy, you'll be terrific. Uh, hey, can you groan? Can I? Oh, my goodness. Does that toughy next door murder that march all day long, Bertie? No, so when he gets out of breath, he sits down and beats his drums for a while. <laughs> right, George won't be long now before I go over there and beat his drum for him. Oh. I wish you'd do it pretty soon, Uncle Mort. I can't understand why you have so much patience. There are two kinds of patience, my dear, and it takes a lot of one kind to keep from being the other. <laughs> Someday he's going to hit the right note, and then they'll take that horn away from him. I don't see how his family can stand it. Yeah, they can't. They've just chased him out in the yard. Look, I wish he was my kid for an hour. A few quick tricks with my hand, and he wouldn't trumpet anymore. Oh, now he's right under our window. Yeah. Oh, there's only one thing left for me to do, Marjorie. Do you remember where I put that old BB gun of Leroy's? Oh, no, Uncle Lord. You mustn't shoot him. Huh? Why, someone might be mean enough to arrest you. I hadn't thought of shooting him, Marjorie. I was going to offer the gun to him as a bribe. <laughs> However, your suggestion does sound better. <laughs> Please, Uncle Mort, forget about the gun. Yeah, all right. I've got another idea. The next time he starts playing, I'm going... Oh, I'm going. 
Don't worry, I'll be right back, my dear. Uh-oh, your uncle, he's in an unmusical mood. Oh, hope uncle hasn't done anything reckless. Let's just hope he ain't done anything they can trace back to him. Uh-oh, here he comes. Oh, Bertie, I'm afraid. Why? He's got such a pleased expression on his face. Well, that's the last of that, folks. I fixed it all up. Oh, well, hi. Uh, what did you do, Uncle? Just use my brains, my dear. I gave Tuffy a $5 bill, and he promised he wouldn't play that trumpet again. <laughs> Pretty smart of me, huh? Oh. What's that? Oh, my goodness, he's got a saxophone, too. Okay, Slucky, you can stop now. Oh, thanks. How am I doing, Phil? Well, you've become pretty good with the punching bag. Now, uh, seeing as how this is your tenth and last lesson, I'm going to put you in the ring against a professional fighter. Oh, well, bring him on. The bigger they fall, the harder I am. Uh, well, you know what I mean, anyway. <laughs> well, I want to warn you. This guy's supposed to be good. That's all right. I feel pretty good myself. Uh, which one is he? Uh, the big guy there, shadow boxing in the ring. Yeah. Oh, yes. He throws a pretty big shadow, doesn't he? <laughs> now, come on over to the ring and... No, Sparky, no. You're going toward the dressing room. Yes, I thought I'd save you the trouble of carrying me in there later. <laughs> now, don't talk that way. You can take this guy. Yes, I can take him and I can leave him alone, too. <laughs> you kidding? I'm dead on the level. Oh, my goodness. Dead on the level. <laughs> <laughs> come on, get in the ring, Sparky. Hey, Firehouse. Yeah, what is it, Phil? I want you two boys to go three or four rounds together. Uh, shake hands with Battle and Throcky. Hi. Uh, hi, Barrel House. All right, boys. Now, I'll keep time, and you get in there and put up a real fight. And remember, no waltzing. Sure, sure, no waltzing. Uh, excuse me, is a little rumba permissible? <laughs> no. All right. Get going, boys. Get in there, Throcky, and try punching. I'm trying to trade, whoop. But he doesn't want to do whoop. Business, whoop. Jab with your left, Strucky, jab. Oh. Okay, now, back, back. I can't, Is The ropes are in my way. Jab with your left again. That's it. Keep jabbing. That's it. Now, bring up that right. Uh, right? Like this? Oh, <laughs> oh my uh, goodness, Strucky. Uh? You shouldn't have done that. You've knocked him out. I did? Rockmorton, that ain't playing the game. <laughs> oh, poor Barrel House. Quick, get me a glass of water. Oh. If get two, I'm thirsty. Oh. <laughs> yeah, take it easy. Take it easy, oh. Barrel House. I'll help you into the dressing room. Oh. Yeah, I'll take care of him. Huh? You get your shower. Oh. And you can consider this knockout your diploma in pugilism. Oh. Oh, you certainly did well in your graduation exercises. Uh, thank you, Professor. I'll get going now. It's so long, Barrel House. Next time, don't try to chin yourself on my glove. <laughs> I just can't wait till I get home and do the same to that next-door neighbor of mine. Oh, how you feeling, Barrel House? Oh, terrible. I'm in awful pain. That big walrus stepped all over my tenderest corn. Honest, Phil, it was all I could do to restrain myself from hitting him. Oh, Uncle Mort! Say, 
You know that Tuffy Dobson next door? Yeah, do I know that brat? Well, he kept picking on me today, so finally I just got good mad, so I, I hauled off and I let him have it. Well, good for you. Yeah, I fought him clear from the corner into his backyard and up on the screen porch. You should have seen him along the milk bottles. <laughs> then his father came home and pulled me off of him. Oh, he did, did he? Yeah. Say, he's looking for you, Uncle. Oh, he is. Well, I'm looking for him. Come on. We're going visiting. Uh, this is going to be peachy fun. You mean you're going into Tuffy's house here? Yes, sir. Right now, I feel as if I could lick twice my weight in Dobson's. <laughs> well, I give that big tub a something. I suppose you came to apologize for what he really did to poor Tuffy. Well, it's a good thing you did because Papa's so mad he just simply... silence! You go tell your Papa that Mr. Gildersleeve is here from next door and wants to see him. At once. Very well, though I warn you that's not the tone of voice to take with Papa on account of his... Go! Oh. All right, I'll tell him. Oh, Papa! Leroy, uh, could I trouble you to hold my coat for a few moments? Uncle, it'd be a pleasure. Uh, There you are. Thank you, my boy. As soon as I roll up my sleeves here... Uh... I'm all ready now. Just let that be. Is there somebody out here says he wants to see Mr. Dobson? Oh, my goodness. It's Philadelphia Phil. Oh, this is going to be one of my bad days. The great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few minutes. Meantime, I've noticed that some women have a knack for being resourceful. They're always first with new recipes, always turning up clever ways to economize and please their families, too. These resourceful ladies are right in their element these days because now more than ever, it's smart to be wisely thrifty. And here's a discovery a lot of them are making, that parquet margarine is a wholesome spread for bread that tastes mighty good, yet costs very little. Yes, they found that serving parquet margarine makes a hit with the family, because it's so downright delicious, spread on bread or toast or rolls. They found that parquet margarine is a real flavor shortening for baking, that it adds delicate extra flavor to pan-fried foods. Yes, parquet margarine is one spread for bread that's so thrifty you can use all you want in cooking, too. Now, using parquet margarine is a wise economy, because it's such a nutritious, wholesome food. Parquet helps provide pep and energy, because it's one of the best energy foods you can serve. And it's a reliable year-round food source of important vitamin A. So why not buy a pound or two of delicious parquet margarine tomorrow? Remember, it's parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y, parquet margarine, made by Kraft. lessons for nothing. Oh, it wasn't altogether a waste, Leroy. They'll come in handy next Thursday evening. Oh, what are you doing then? I'm going to visit on Rudy Valley program. Yeah, they've matched me with battling John Barrymore. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>
this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. This program has come to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome, William Bendix. Nobody can act up to par with a nasty cold. I check my cold distress the fast way with four-way cold tablets. Yes, tests of four leading cold tablets proved four-way fastest acting of all. Amazing four-way starts in minutes to relieve aches, pains, headache, reduce fever, calm, upset stomach, also overcomes irregularity. Four-way is the fast way to relieve those cold miseries. Then you feel better quickly. Four-way cold tablets, only 29 and 59 cents. Shadow Blackie. I'll tell you that later. First, I want to know if you're going along with me. 
Uh, we'd do anything to get this guy, but how do we know you can do it? I spent five years figuring that one out. I got it all set up perfect. Well, can't you give us some idea how you're going to do it? All right. First, I'm going to get the guy on my trail. Yeah, how? I'm going to lay a trail of robbery and murder across the city that'll shake the whole country. I'm going to lead him right to my door. But this time, I'm going to be all set for him. But you can't see this guy, Blackie. Yeah, I know. He hypnotizes you, but he's no further away than his voice. He can be gotten. And I figured out just the way to do it. Well, okay, Blackie. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but we're your friends for life if you do. What do you want us to do? Nothing more than lay out some dough. I want you to buy me an island. An island? Oh, what are you talking about? Right? There's a little patch of land no bigger than half a city block. It sits right in the middle of White Lake, right outside of town. There's a shack on it. That's going to be my hideout. That's where I'm going to leave the shadow. And that's where I'm going to knock him off. Well, if you're sure you can do this, I want to be in on the kill. All right, Frank, I'll need company. You're in. Okay, Blackie, the island's yours. Thanks. You're getting a swell bargain. The shadow for a piece of dirt. back to the car and sit with Butler till I lock up the gas station. Oh, you want Daddy to carry you back, huh? Thought you'd tell? <laughs> All right, then. Come on, now. Up you go. Are you about ready to go, John? Yes, Mary. It won't take me more than a few minutes now. Pretty late to have this little man out. It's so lonesome down the house, I thought we'd come out and drive you home. Oh, that was nice of you, Mary, and I'd certainly appreciate it. Here now, son. In the car with you. There you are. Well, what's this? Another customer? <laughs> Gosh, business is picking up. I'll take care of this one in a hurry, Mary. Be right back. Yes, sir, what can I do for you? Fill her up, make it snappy. Yes, sir, would you cut your motor, please? Cut my motor, what for? Well, it's pretty dangerous putting gasoline in a car with a motor running. All right, never mind the gas. Let's take a walk into that shanty of yours. Hey, what is this? A pickup? Your dope's right, buddy. Get going, this gun talks loud. Knife down, lady, if you know what's good for you. Wait a minute, buddy. You've come to the wrong place. I've got exactly $9 in my till. That's my receipts for the whole day, and it's bread and butter for that woman and child in the car over there. And I'm not giving it away. Never mind the long-winded story. I'm here for business. Now step on it. Yeah? I'll step on it, all right. Oh. Uh, tough guy, eh? <coughs> now your wife and kid can use that nine bucks to buy you a funeral wreath. Go ahead, Cut. I want to finish a report. What did you find? 
Well, I found a man who was driving along just as the killer pulled out of the gas station. Hmm? He trailed the murder car for a while, but he lost it near White Lake. Did he get a license number? No, he couldn't get close enough. Uh, we're certainly up against a tough one this time. The town's up on arms. We've got to crack this case somehow. There goes that phone again. Just a minute, Cardinal. Hello? Who's it? Oh, you. Well, what do you want? I suppose you're calling up about that gas station murder. Quite right, Commissioner. Are you making any progress? Very little. The case is worse than a jigsaw puzzle with nearly all the parts missing. It was a particularly vicious crime, Commissioner. And I want to assist in any way possible to bring about the capture of the murderer. Well, the case has got me. I'm willing to accept help from anybody. Got any dope at all, Shadow? First, let me ask you if you have any theory. Simple enough. Robbery was the motive. Are you... Sure about that, Commissioner? Positive. The man resisted and was shot. That's simple enough. I'm afraid it's not as simple as that, Commissioner. Isn't it strange that the killer passed many a prosperous, large gas station? Yet he picked out this obviously poverty-stricken one? I haven't got any answer for that, except most crooks are dumb. No, Commissioner. I feel certain the killer deliberately planned his crime so that it would shock and outrage the community. That's why he picked on that poor gas station man. Well, that sounds a little bit involved to me. Maybe you're right, but uh, just a minute, Shadow. There's a teletype message coming in. May have some bearing on this case. Let's see what it is, Guard Owner. Right, Commissioner. Hey. Commissioner. Get this. What is it, Guard Owner? Listen. Mystery gunman robbed and killed restaurant owner at Hosta Point near midnight tonight. Crime of the same character and undoubtedly committed by man who killed gas station owner. Good Lord. What is it, Commissioner? What's the matter? Another killing at Hoster Point. I expected something like this. Shadow, we're dealing with a madman. We've got to get him at once. You'll excuse me now, Commissioner. There's work to be done. And quickly. Oh, wait. Tell me what you're going to do. I don't know exactly. But one thing is certain. I won't rest until the man responsible for these crimes is brought to justice. Margot. But there's one significant fact. 
The murders have all been committed since Blackie got out. This is a very dangerous case, Lamont. Dangerous for you, I mean. Don't forget that Carmichael swore to get the shadow. Forget? Hardly. I'm well aware of his threat. And I know he's not likely to forget it either. This case will mean the end of Blackie Carmichael. Or the end of the shadow. Anything? No, Frank, nothing. I don't expect to see the guy I'm after. You sure got me stumped. I can't figure how you're going to get a guy you can't see. Well, just wait. You'll be in on it when it happens. You didn't tell your grandchildren you saw a blackie Carmichael strangle the shadow with his own two hands. Well, that'd be something to talk about, all right, but... Listen, Blackie, if you want to lead the shadow here to this island, why do you cover up every time you knock somebody off? Because I don't want the cops to get wise first. I'm making it tough for them. You may be making it tough for the shadow, too. No, no, no. He's a smart egg. He got me the last time when I was well out to sea on the cleanest getaway a guy ever planned. And you're throwing out enough bait. He ought to bite soon if he's ever gonna. Frankie, the biggest fish is a sucker for the right kind of bait. He sure raised an awful rumpus, all right. Ten stick-ups in 24 hours. Boy, that's knocking him off. You think that's something? Why, I'm just starting. I'm going to keep pegging them until I wear calluses on my trigger finger. Drive a little further down the lake, Shomoho. We'll be able to see the island just around this next bend. What do you expect to find there, Lamont? I don't know. But I've noticed that nearly every one of these robberies, the hold-up car was seen in this vicinity. Here we are, Margo. Pull up right here. All right. Yeah. Look. There's the island I've been telling you about. Out there in the middle of the lake. But I understand that island's deserted. Nobody's lived there for years. I'm not so sure about that, Margo. That's one of the points I must be satisfied about. You mean you're going out there to investigate? Yes, Margo. At least, the shadow is. Well, how are you going to do it? I'm going to swim out. Swim? Way out there? Why not see if we can just find a boat or something? No, that wouldn't do, Margot. The shadow can make himself invisible, but if there's anybody out there, they'd certainly be suspicious if they saw a boat approach rowed by unseen hands. Oh, oh, yes, of course. But I must be going. Don't forget my instructions, Margot. Yes, I've got them well in mind. I'm to wait here for an hour. If you're not back in that time, it'll be a signal you found somebody or something on the island. In that case, I'm to phone Commissioner Weston and have him surround the island. Correct, Margo. And what time is it? Exactly 11.50. Good. I'll be on my way. But don't forget, Margo, at 12.50, you have a date with the shadow. This is getting me, I tell you, Blackie, I... I can't stand it anymore. Well, go on in the shack and take a sleep. No, I'm getting off this island. Who said you was? I say so. I'm going nuts waiting while you keep staring at that water. You close that trap of yours or you'll be carried off this island. Ah, oh, now, Blackie, be reasonable, will you? This is a screwy idea. We can't wait around here for a guy that may never show up. I got things to Which do. I... You? Oh! Oh! You're in on this, see? Oh! And you're staying into the finish. <laughs> 
You get me? Yes, for Pete's sake, Blackie, let go. You break my arm. Are you doing as I say? Yes, yes. Okay. No, I don't want to hear no more squawking. You got a grip like nothing human. My arm felt like it was in a steel vise. Pipe down. Quiet. Oh, what's up? What's the matter? Look. Right along where I'm pointing. Where the moon hits the water. Yeah? You see anything? Just a ripple in the water, that's all I see. Some ripple. It's the one I've been looking for every night since I'm here. What do you think it is? It's a man swimming. You're nuts. I don't see no man. Maybe it's just a fish. Uh, fish is good. It's the fish I've been putting my bait out for. What? Say, Blackie, you don't figure that's the shadow, do you? That's my dope. I'm willing to lay a bet on it. I get it now. This is the way you've been planning it all the time. That guy can hide himself, but he can't hide the ripple in the water. That's what I've been figuring for five years. I know this shadow can hypnotize you so you can't see him, but he's a body just the same. So I doped out this idea. If I could get him into water, I still wouldn't be able to see him. But I could see where he rippled the water. Then I could grab. Lucky, that's a smart idea. And simple. So simple, I was scared some other guy beat me to it. That ripple is moving this way. What are you going to do now, Blackie? I'm going out to meet him just as soon as he gets far enough in for me to fetch underwater. Then I'm going to grab him and strangle him with these two hands. He ought to be a cinch for a guy as strong as you at any time. But now after he swam that distance, he's ducked. Yeah, it's time to go, Frank. Here. Grab my dirt, sir. Take it. Okay, Blackie. You better make it snappy. He's almost out of deep water. He's paddling in his own grave right now. Here goes. Keep your eye on the water, Frank. And watch the fun. Okay, Blackie. Hot dose on you. Don't disappoint me. Well, that place has been deserted for years. What's out there? I can't give you details, Commissioner, but 
But I urge you to act at once and use extreme care. There may be great danger. I can't be going out the middle of the night on crazy calls like this. you got to give me some definite information. All right, Commissioner. You want to stop this epidemic of murders and robberies, don't you? Of course. But what has that island got to do with it? That you'll find out when you get there. Yeah. Oh, Hello. Hello. You'll be the biggest guy in the rackets after this. You done something that every guy in the underworld wanted to do. You killed a shadow. Cut the gab and let's get going. All right, I'm all set. We better bind this shack down. We don't want to leave any fingerprints, any evidence from the cops. Uh, no use taking any chances now. Get that can of kerosene. Right, Blackie. Okay, I got it. All right, pour it all over the joint. Boy, wait till the gang hears about this. It'll knock them all for a twister. Okay, that's enough. Get over here by the door. Okay. Now check some matches on it and let it go. Right, Blackie. This will cover us completely. Well, there she goes. Come on, scram out of here. This shack will go up like paper. Boy, look at it burn, huh? Never mind that. Load the two machine guns in the boat. They're in already. All right, then come on. I thought we'd never get off this island. Worse than doing a stretch in jail. What are you going to do when you get back to town, Blackie? I've been getting chicken feed so far. And now I'm going out after the real big dough. I ain't going to be too particular about how I get it. Okay, here we are. All right, now get a hold of the other end of the boat and we'll slide her into the water. Okay. There we go. Hey, Blackie. Wait. What's the matter? Look. There's a boat out there. What? Hey, there's another one. Two more over there. We're surrounded, Blackie. Must be the cops. What are we going to do? Give me a hand with this machine gun. Ain't you going to make a break for it? Yeah, after I knock off enough cops and open up a big enough space for us to get through. Set that gun up here. Leave the other one in the boat. We'll need it going across. We better make a break for it, Blackie. That fire's getting awful hot. I tell you, shut up. All right, all right. Yeah, it's the cops, all right. I can see them now in the light from the fire. You got the gun loaded? Yeah, she's all set. All right. I'm going to bead on one of them two boats right in front. Take the one to your right first. Let's go when I tell you. Then we'll knock off the other one. All right. They're a perfect target now. Let them get closer. Uh, let's go, Blackie. They'll be on top of us in another minute. You let go when I tell you, not before. All right. Get ready. There you shot. You knocked the gun I, over. I didn't knock it over. What are you trying to hand me? Honest, Blackie, I didn't. I tell you, I... Who else could have done it? I don't know. I... <laughs> I could, Blackie. I did. What? Hey, Blackie, who's that? Who's talking? The shadow. <laughs> Blackie, you hit her? It's the shadow. I thought you killed that guy. I did. I'm sure I did. Oh, no, you didn't, Blackie. I'm very much alive. No, you can't be. I held you under. I pumped you down. I simply played good water polo, Blackie. Taking punishment underwater and holding the breath for sustained periods is a requirement of the game. I let you believe you had an easy victim. You know better now. Come on, run for it, Blackie. Into the water where you still got a chance. Right Come on. back here, you yellow rat. Come here and find it out. Your little playmate is gone, Blackie. The police have shot him. There's no chance for you to escape. Yeah, that's what you think. You ain't railroading me that easy. You better give up, Blackie. Uh-huh. Well, I guess this round's yours, but the game ain't over yet. Put up your hands, Joe. Okay, 
Okay, take it easy, officer. Tell your man to put away them captors. What are you doing here? It is Blackie Carmichael, Commissioner. Oh, Shadow, you're here too. This is the man you've been looking for, Commissioner. The killer of the gas station man and the others. Well, he's a prize package. Nice piece of work, Shadow. Come on, you. All right, all right. You got me now, but I'll get out again just as I did before. And the next time, Shadow, I'm going to get you. Remember that, I'm going to get you. Say, Joe. Yes, Mr. Morton. Get Blackie Carmichael's record card out of the big file. Yes, sir. Albert Carmichael, alias Blackie. Here you are, Mr. Warden. All right, stamp it and put it in a small file. Yes, sir. There you are, sir. Uh, just a minute, let me look at it. That's right, Joe. Albert Blackie Carmichael. Discharged by execution. to you by Chesterfield, America's most popular two-way cigarette. What a pair. Chesterfield king size at the new low price. Chesterfield regular. Around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. It was a long ride from Dodge up to Ponca Creek in the Dakota Territory, and I killed a good horse getting there. But I caught Lee Trumbull. He was asleep in a clump of willow, and I took him without a fight. 
We rode his horse double into Sioux Falls, but we came the rest of the way back to Dodge in style. By stagecoach. At least I thought we were traveling in style. Lee didn't seem to care much for it. In fact, he wouldn't even talk until the stage pulled into Dodge and drove up Front Street for the plaza. You're making a bad mistake, Marshal. Is that so? I didn't kill anybody. There are two witnesses say you did, Lee. They're lying. Then why did you run? My brother Dolph, he said you was after me. That's why I run. You'll get a trial. You can talk about it then. I ain't gonna stand trial, Marshal. Dolph will get me out of jail before that. Is that so? I never figured Dolph is a man to do much of anything. You've been against us trembles ever since we come to Dodge, ain't you, Marshal? Yeah, I have. Neither one of you is any good. See what I mean? Yeah, there's your brother Dolph now, waiting to welcome you back. How'd he know I was coming? I wired Chester from Sioux Falls a week ago. That bandy deputy of yours? Chester's not my deputy. Well, he sure acts like it. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Now, here we are. You got my brother in there, Marshal? Come on out, Lee. You're going to be sorry for this. Yeah, that's what Lee's been telling me. Come on, Lee, get on out of there. I'm coming, Marshal, I'm coming. Shoot him, dog. Don't look at me, Marshal. I didn't even draw. No. No, you didn't, did you, Dolph? You didn't have to kick him like that. You hurt him. He'll get his wind back. I got him covered, Mr. Dillon. Uh, hello, Chester. Don't you try nothing like that again, Lee. It's all right, Chester. The fight's out of him. You want me to take Dolph's gun? Now, that's funny. I keep forgetting. You do wear a gun, don't you, Dolph? There's nothing wrong with wearing a gun, Marshal. There is the way you wear one. What do you mean? Well, you might run into somebody who doesn't know you're afraid to use it, and he might shoot you before he found that out. You calling me a coward, Marshal? Now, Chester. Yes, sir? I'm going over to the office. When Lee here stops groaning, hurt him over and lock him up, will you? Okay, sir. And if Dolph gives you any trouble, shoot him. Now, Marshal. Get going, Dolph. Go on, move. You'll be sorry for this. I'll make you sorry for it. Oh, say, there's a fellow waiting for you over at the office, Mr. Dillon. He's a stranger to me, but he wanted to see you. All right, Chester. Oh, by the way, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. It's been most a month you've been gone. We sure did miss you here. Well, there were times when I missed being here, Chester. Uh, don't let Lee get away from you now, huh? I'd hate to make that ride all over again. No, sir, I won't. Oh, I sure won't. Oh, stop breathing like that, Lee, and get on your feet. You ain't hurt. Come on. Well. Hello, Matt. Hack. Hack Brian. How are you? Good to see you. <laughs> You're surprised to see me alive, huh, Matt? Why, Hack, it's been at least ten years, hasn't it? Man ain't born that could kill me. Leastways, I ain't run into him yet. Well, maybe you're just lucky. <laughs> Luckier than you, anyways. A lot luckier sometimes, is the way I recall it. Now you're thinking about Santa Fe. Huh? Yeah. You wasn't very lucky that day, Matt. I remember how it was? 
You backed into a corner with nothing but a beer bottle in your hand, and three of John Chisholm's drunk cowboys about to empty their guns into you. Yeah, yeah. And you walked in and killed every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it was real surprised, wasn't it, Matt? Uh, John Chisholm's been after you ever since, hasn't he, Hank? Oh, them was just the first of Chisholm's men I've killed, Matt. Been riding with Billy the Kid till about half a year ago. Oh? Well, why'd you quit? Never could make out if Billy was working for or against Chisholm. Besides, didn't pay enough. Oh, but you're the one, Matt. <laughs> when I got to Dodge last night, heard you was U.S. Marshal here, I just didn't believe it. <laughs> well, being a Marshal isn't that hard a job. Oh, you can handle it, all right, I know that. What I mean is, is it kind of sudden find a man you used to know being a U.S. Marshal? Well, i got to earn my keep somehow. Oh, sure, sure. Well, what are you doing to Dodge, anyway? I don't know, Matt. I don't know yet. I've been over to Wagon Bed Springs, stretching my legs, sleeping in a bed, doing a little gambling and the like. Now, some fella here sent for me. I ain't seen him yet, but if it's a job he's got, I sure need the money. <laughs> well, good luck with it, Hack. We'll get together later and have a drink. Yeah. Eh? Right, straight ahead, Lee. I see that door there. The settles is out What's back. this? Just a prisoner. What do you do? I didn't do nothing. Shut up and keep walking, Lee. What you locking him up for, man? Murder. That's bad. That's real bad. Murder's always bad. I don't mean that. I mean locking a man up. I couldn't stand that, Matt. I never been in jail. I never ain't gonna be. <laughs> well, then you better stay sober around here, Hack. And you're taking it back about that drink. <laughs> oh no, no. You'll be safe as long as you're with me. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, Matt. I've been around you when it wasn't so safe. <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah, sure, Hack. Oh. Hey, come on in, mister. I'm leaving. So long, Matt. So long, Hack. Marshal Dillon? Uh, hello, Ollie. How are you? Marshal, I got something I got to tell you. It's my duty the way I see it. Well, what's the trouble? Hello, Ollie. What you doing here? Well, I come to tell the Marshal something, Chester, but I sure don't like informing on people. You understand me, Marshal? Well, what's it about, Ollie? Dolph Trumbo, that's what. You got his brother Lee in jail here. We sure have. I just locked him up myself. Well, Dolph's coming to get him out. He's over at the Alfaganza right now talking it up. Talking what up? Well, there's some men at the bar there, Marshal. And Dolph's buying them drinks and telling them his brother's plum innocent, and they got to raid the jail here and get him out. You mean he's forming a mob? That's what he's doing, and I don't like it. There's going to be trouble, sure. Ollie, thanks very much for telling me this, but uh, don't worry about the trouble. I'll put a stop to that right now. Come on, Chester. Yes, sir. What a pair. What a buy. King-size Chesterfield. Now at the new low price. And Chesterfield regular. They're the quality twins. The same highest quality, the same low nicotine. Either way you like them, you get the same wonderful taste and mildness. A refreshing smoke every time. Change to Chesterfield, America's most popular two-way cigarette. Yes, the Chesterfield you smoke today is the best cigarette ever made. What a pair. Chesterfield regular, Chesterfield king size. They satisfy millions. They're best for you. 
wouldn't you know Dolph Trumbo would do something stupid like this, Mr. Dillon? Trying to form a mob to take his brother out of jail, how? Well, it works sometimes, Chester. Not in Dodge, it don't. Oh, not so far, anyway. Huh? Here's the Oliver Gunza. I don't get in the way. Huh? No, sir. You're right, Paul. And something else. There's nothing to be afraid of, you men. You'll be led by one of the best gunmen in the whole country. I promise you that. And, and we'll have justice in Dodge. Once and for all. Justice. That's What do you want, Marshal? What are you doing here? <laughs> Ole told you, huh? I seen him sneak out. I just been talking, Marshal. No harm in talking, is there? Well, he's innocent anyway. He shouldn't be in jail. And, and, and I'm going to get him out, too. These men here, they're all with me. And we're going... Quiet. Bartender, this place is closed for the rest of the day. No more liquor. And you men get out of here and don't let me find any of you together again. Not for a long time. Now get moving. Oh, here, Chester. I'll pay for the beer. You leaving, Mr. Dillon? Oh, Kitty just came downstairs. I haven't seen her yet. I think I'll go over and say hello. Yes, sir. Uh, like for me to go across the street and see if they're keeping the Alphaganza closed? No, that's all right. I told them they could open up again tonight. Oh, oh. Well, thanks for the beer, Mr. Dillon. Sure, Chester. Sure. Welcome to Dodge, stranger. How are you, Kitty? Fine. I'd be even better if you'd brought two beers over instead of one. Uh-huh. But you can sit down anyway. Well, you can take this one, Kitty. It's kind of warm. I don't want it. Matt, do you suppose the day will ever come when having good manners will be a requirement for the marshal's office? <laughs> well, if it ever does, Kitty, I don't guess they'll need marshals anymore. Yeah, maybe you're right at that. Well, how have you been, huh? Everything okay? Well, I was making out pretty good, Matt, till I broke my toe. Broke your toe? Yep. <laughs> How'd you do that? In a line of duty right here in the saloon. I got tromped on dancing with a Texas cowboy. He should have been spending his trail money on red silk handkerchiefs and soda water instead of me. He couldn't have been over 16. Darn fool kid. There's not much you can do for a broken toe, is it? No. At least it doesn't hurt when I'm sitting down. I uh, hear you broke up Dolph Trumbo's party at the Alapaganza this afternoon. Oh? Uh-huh. <laughs> you hear just about everything, don't you, Kitty? Men. They talk more than women. <laughs> this place is full of men, day and night. You think if I closed my eyes and prayed real hard, they'd all go away? Well, if they did, what would you do for a living? That'll keep me awake. <laughs> Say, there's your friend Dolph now. Just came in. Huh? There's a stranger with him, Matt. Hello, D. What's the matter? Who is he? He's a gunman, Kitty. That's so? 
Yeah. I guess he's about the handiest man with a gun that ever hit Dodge. So Dolph's gone and hired him a gunman. Who is he, anyway? What's his name? He's a friend of mine, Kitty. A friend of yours? Yeah, a good friend. He saved my life once. But now I guess he's going to try to get it back. His name's Prime. Hack Prime. The government never did pay me much for enforcing the law in Dodge, but even if they doubled it, there were times when I'd like to acquit. I sat there with Kitty and watched the two men at the bar. They had a drink, then they shook hands, and then Hack walked out. I got up, and I followed him. Stand. Dodge House. Huh? Got a room. I, uh. I'd like to talk to you. Street'll do. Okay. Dolph was trying to form a mob this afternoon, Hack. You want to raid his brother out of jail. I heard about it. When I went to break it up, I heard him saying they'd be led by one of the best gunmen in the country. Now, that wouldn't be Dolph himself. No. He's afraid of guns. He, uh... He meant you. Didn't he, Hack? I hadn't talked to him yet. He was just guessing I'd come in. And you have? Not with no mob. I told him that. I don't work with mobs. You should have known better than to say that. How do you work, Hack? Alone, by myself. I'm a pretty good gunman, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I know. It saved my life once, sure, being a good gunman. Yeah. Matt, turn his brother loose. I get paid if you do. Look, Hack, Lee Trumbo murdered a man. He's going to stand trial for it. I don't get paid if he stands trial. But you get paid for shooting me? That's what Dolph said. That was his deal. Well, well, they tell me you're better with a gun you used to be, Matt. Hack, I don't want to fight you. Afraid, Matt? How'd you get to be marshal, anyways? It's a job. I took it. Well, I've been offered a job, too, and I took it. Yeah, but you had better jobs, Hack. Oh, it's been bothering me some, Matt. I took an awful chance saving your life once. Now I got to take another to kill you. That don't make much sense, does it? Look, Hack, why don't you forget it, huh? Go on back to Wagon Bed Springs. I'll lend you some money to see you through. No, home. it ain't that easy, Matt. I back out on this, the word will get around. Nobody will hire me for nothing no more. My reputation won't be worth crowbait. Did Billy the Kid pay you to kill men? Of course not. Of course not. That was for pleasure. You know how I hate John Chisholm. And you come down a long way, Hack. Selling your gun. 
I killed a man for pay over to La Hunter. Didn't bother me none. Who was he? I don't know. Some gambler. Pretty good gunman, though. Tell me something, Hack. Did Dolph say how his brother murdered that man here? Dolph claims he didn't do it at all. Well, there were two witnesses who saw him do it. The man was a buffalo skinner, unarmed. He didn't even have a knife on him. But he refused to buy Lee Trumbo a drink, so Lee shot him. Unarmed? That's right. Shot an unarmed man? You think it over, Hack. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night. A man like Hack Prine had his own peculiar sense of honor. The idea of shooting me seemed to bother him less than the fact that Lee Trumbull would kill an unarmed man. Later that night, I heard he'd been seen having an argument with Dolph. So I figured I'd won. But another killing in Dodge. Either me or Hack had been avoided. Until early next morning, word came that a man had been shot at the Dodge house. I sent Chester on over while I went up and got Doc Adams. Uh, how do you know the man isn't already dead, Matt? I don't know, Doc. Well, it doesn't matter. I'd probably make more money off of him dead than alive. Oh? Well, I get paid for autopsies, don't I? Sure. Yeah, but just try to collect for the ones I keep alive. <laughs> just you try it. And I'm glad I don't have to, Doc, but I still notice you buy a new buggy every spring. Oh, yes, wear it out before racing across the prairie, delivering babies, setting bones, digging out bullets, delivering babies. Well, exercise keeps the man young, Doc. That's a good thing I don't depend on sympathy to keep me young. Ah, here we are. Mr. Dillon? Oh, hello, Doc. Where is he, Chester? In that room right there, number 12. And you know who it is? It's Ole. Ole? Yes, sir. Ole. And Hack Prine shot him. What? It's Hack's room, Mr. Dillon. He did it all right. Well, let's take a look. Where's Hack now, Chester? I don't know, sir. Nobody's seen him for the past hour. I kept everybody out of the room, Mr. Dillon. All right, now stand aside here, boys. Let the marshal and Doc through. Come on, now, Dillon. Let him. Let me through. Let me through here. It's Ole, all right. He's dead, Matt. Real dead. Three, four hours, probably. Nobody heard a shot or nothing, Mr. Dillon. But when the clerk come on duty about an hour ago, he saw Hack Prine walk out of here. Why anybody want to kill poor little Ole, I, I do not understand. I'll bet I know, Mr. Dillon. What, Chester? You didn't talk Hack out of trying to kill you after all. He went back to Dolph last night and told him he'd take the job. Then he figured the only way to get you into a fight was to shoot somebody so you'd have to come after him. Yeah, maybe. Now, come on, let's start looking for him. Return for the last act of gun smoke in just a moment. What a pair. Les Paul and Mary Ford, America's most popular recording duo. You ought to know, you buy millions of their records. Les and Mary say, Chesterfields for me. I guess you could call us a real Chesterfield family. I've been enjoying them now for over six years. 
It's over 15 years for me. We believe it's the best cigarette ever made. Yes, they have just that refreshing taste and mildness that we like. What a pair. Chesterfield King Size, now at the new low price, and Chesterfield Regular. America's most popular two-way cigarette. I guess Alfreganza is the only place we haven't looked in, Mr. Dillon. He's got to be there, unless maybe he's going to try to bushwhack you. Hack may be a paid killer, Chester, but he always faces man head on. Yes, sir. That come right from Alfreganza. Yeah. Mr. Dillon, there's Hack. He's coming out. Yeah. All right, get off the street, Chester. Yes, sir. Morning, Matt. Hello, Hack. Just killed a man. That saloon there. Dolph Trumbo? I killed him. I gave him a chance, but he wouldn't draw. I killed him anyways. That's too bad, Hack. Ain't no man gonna frame me. I never thought you killed Ole, but I wanted to hear you say so. How'd you know I didn't do it? Well, it wouldn't be your style to kill a defenseless little fellow like that, would it? Of course not. So while you were out gambling last night, Dolph killed him and dumped him in your room. I found him there, and then I went after Dolph. Ain't no man can do that to me. Hack, according to the law, you murdered Dolph. I'm going to have to arrest you. What? You're going to have to stand trial for it. Oh, no, man. No, sir, I ain't going to jail. Not me, Matt. Never. I'm a lawman, Hack. I got to arrest you. Matt, I told Dolph last night I wasn't going to take his job. I told him I was going to leave town. You're under arrest, Hack. All right. I guess you've got to do it. Let's go for it, man. No, Hack, no. Let's see what happens. Way, Matt. And getting paid to fight you. Sure. Sure it is. There weren't no reason to, to fight you. Not that way. I can't see you no more, Matt. 
It's like like being underwater. I can't see nothing. good shooting. I never seen nothing as fast as that in my whole life. My, I'll bet he didn't know what hit him. The way he spun around there when when you... Mr. Dillon? Mr. Dillon, what's the matter? Mr. Dillon? My... our star, William Conrad. Right now, I'd like to step out of my character as Marshal Matt Dillon to join George Fenneman as a Chesterfield salesman. You know, about the greatest compliment I've ever heard about any product is what smokers say about Chesterfield. They satisfy. So whether you smoke a regular or a king-size cigarette, Chesterfield is best. We hope you'll try them, and soon. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, John Daner, and Harry Bartell. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Today, L&M filters have a nationwide demand never before equaled by any other cigarette in so short a time. The reason? This is it. It's the filter that counts. And L&M has the best. L&M's exclusive miracle tip contains alpha cellulose to give you effective filtration. Two other things are important. L&M's have much more flavor, much less nicotine. Buy America's highest quality and best filter tip cigarette. Light and mild L and M. Sure to listen to Dragnet, the story of your police force in action, tomorrow night, Tuesday, on another network. Next week at this same time, Chesterfield will bring you another story of the Old West on Gunsmoke. This is the CBS Radio Network. think that Life Boy Health Soap got me extra clean. But I never knew how right I was till the doctors came along and actually proved it. Yes, it's true. After comparing the effects of daily baths with different soaps, these doctors made this amazing statement.
Actually, you're cleaner, safer from B.O. when you bathe daily with Life Boy than when you bathe with any other leading soap. Something to think about, isn't it? Well, the answer's simple. Life Boy does more than just remove the grime and perspiration you can see. Life Boy is more effective than any other leading soap against invisible dirt that can form a foothold for B.O. Life Boy gets you even cleaner than the eye can see. After 820 scientific tests, these doctors say that Life Boy's purifying ingredient makes the difference. And this same purifying ingredient actually makes Life Boy milder, safe even for a baby's tender skin. So enjoy a refreshing Life Boy bath every day. You like Life Boy's creamy rich lather, its wonderful mildness. Get Life Boy tomorrow. Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super creamed blend, presents. Our friend, Swan. With my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect blendship. When other friendships have been forgot, theirs will still be hot. With a population the size of New York's, there are bound to be many people like yourself. But of one thing I'm certain, in all New York, yes, in all the world, there can only be one Irma Peterson. <laughs> How do I know? Because only one person thinks like my beloved roommate. For instance, the other day I was reading the newspaper and I said, Irma. Yes, Jane? Listen to this headline in the paper. Higher meat prices predicted for 1948. Isn't that awful? Oh, it sure is, Jane. It's going to give a lot of people an inferiority complex. Inferiority complex? Yes, I heard that the human body is only worth 97 cents. Why should a cow be any better than you or me? <laughs> try to find an answer for that, but right now I'm more concerned with Irma's heart than her mind. You see, Valentine's Day is nearly here, and with the approach of any holiday with the least romantic significance, Irma becomes certain that Al is going to propose. She felt that way on Mother's Day, <laughs> on Father's Day, in fact, on every holiday except Labor Day. <laughs> She knows that that's the day when Al hides. <laughs> but I know that she's banking heavily on the culmination of her dreams this Valentine's Day because right now she's down on her knees in front of her hope chest, examining its contents. Believe me, such contents no human eye has ever seen in a hope chest. In one corner, she has stacked bottles of root beer, mission orange, cherry soda, and Cokes. <laughs> Irma, what is the idea... Well, when... Maybe when Al sees all that pop, he'll want to become a father. <laughs> I see. And what about that calendar, honey? You've torn off all 12 months. Why? Well, they say when you get married, the first year is the hardest, and I don't want to know about it. <laughs> Sweetie, I don't want to be cruel, but what makes you think that Al is going to leap into action now? Valentine's Day is coming. Oh, honey, you said the same thing about leap year. You were going to land him on the first day of leap year. Well, it was fate. I was a good leaper, but he was a better ducker. <laughs> Irma, 
But you seriously intend to marry Al? The moment he asks me. You intend to have children, don't you? Six. Six? Four of each. <laughs> there may be twins, you know. Yeah, well, that's what I'm driving at, honey. You see, children need food, they need clothes, they need education. Well, I was going to educate them myself. I know, honey, but after kindergarten... <laughs> well, then Al will take over. All right, then after reform school... <laughs> oh, look, Jane, I, I know what you say is, is true, but I love Al and I want to marry him. I, I'm just going to let the future take care of itself. Oh, Irma, now, this Now, please, man... Jane, my mind is made up. Oh, gee, I'd better hurry to the beauty parlor. I'll be late. Honey, why do you keep spending money on the beauty parlor? You have such wonderful, naturally curly blonde hair. Yes, but people keep saying there's there's so much that needs to be done to my head. <laughs> See you later. Hello. Oh, it's you, Al. Uh-uh, she just left for the beauty parlor. She'll be right back. What? You're shopping for her Valentine present? What would she like? Gee, I don't know. Uh, where are you shopping? Near Tiffany's? How near Tiffany's? <laughs> oh, the five and ten. <laughs> well, look, Al, will you come over here? There's something very important that I want to discuss with you, huh? Yeah, while Irma's gone. Please hurry, will you? Bye. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Jenny, I hope I'm not intruding. No, Professor, not at all. What's on your mind? Well, I'm going away for a week, and I want to sublet my room. Does this ad read right? Well, let me hear it. Wanted gentleman to sublet room. Must be insane. Ah, <laughs> oh, Professor, don't be so dramatic. If there's as much wrong with your room as you say, why call Mrs. O'Reilly up and put your foot down? This is impossible. If I put my foot down in that room, I go right through the floor. <laughs> Well, Professor, I sympathize with you, but I've got other things on my mind. What's wrong with Irma now? Well, she's made up her mind that she's going to marry Al. And you are worried that he won't be able to make a living for her, eh? Well, you know how long it's been since he worked. Yes, that was when the Normandy turned over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he tried to sell the life preservers for white wall tires. <laughs> Janie, Jenny, you've got to be philosophical. You know, there is an old saying... All the world is a stage. How does that apply? It don't. This is only a consolation if you ain't got money to go to the movies. <laughs> um, that's Al. That's Al. Uh, professor, I'm expecting him. Uh, come in. Oh, Jane. Oh, hiya, Professor. Hello, Al. Well, I got to be running along. Don't you want to hear about my new deal? Look, another deal he's got. What is it this time? Shaving cats and selling them for Mexican chihuahuas? <laughs> I stopped tampering with animals, but got a natural. It's a pair of binoculars with built-in pictures of pinup girls. So when a dame drags her husband to the opera, he'll have something to look at. <laughs> How's the sound? Like all the others. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go up to my room and feed my birds. Birds? What kind of birds do you have? I don't know. When you haven't got any windows, you don't know what you're going to get. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, Jane, what did you want to see me about that's so important? Well, Al, I want to talk to you about Irma. Oh. She loves you, and since she has no family within 1,500 miles, I'd like to talk to you like, well, like her father would. Fair enough. Now, Al, just what are your intentions regarding Irma? Well, Pop, I'll tell you. <laughs> I 
love Irma, and someday I hope to give her my name. What else? <laughs> what else? Yes, what are you going to do about a job? Well, I... I sent an application in. Al, that was a year ago. Boulder Dam is finished. <laughs> Forget about it. Al, you have got to go out and get yourself a job. Oh, now, look, Jane, you got me all wrong. I'm not against work. It's just that a man like me has got to pick the right spot. What do you mean? Well, I'm not the kind of a guy that can work for somebody else. I feel I'm a born leader. Got to do things on my own. Maybe I got that same drive that you find in men like Edison, Marconi, Louis Pasteur, and... and Rip uh, Van Winkle. <laughs> well, look, Jane, that's how I am, and nothing's going to change me. I'm willing to work, but want to work for myself. Oh, Al, that's ridiculous. Why? Richard works for himself. Are you comparing yourself to Richard? Why, why he's a self-made man. Richard could retire on just what people owe him. Well, I could retire on what I owe people. <laughs> now, Al, don't joke. I give you my word that unless you straighten yourself out, I'm going to do my best to prevent Irma from marrying you. Well, I've got to go down and meet Richard now, but this isn't the last that you've heard from me. Oh, hello, chicken. Hi, Jane. Hello, Al, honey. Oh, Al, your ears are burning. I bet you were talking about me. Yeah, chicken. I was just telling Jane how much I love you. Oh, Jane, isn't Al the answer to a girl's dreams? It all depends on what she ate before she went to bed. <laughs> oh, i got to run along now, kids, but you uh, think about what we discussed, Al. Bye. Well, what did Jane mean, honey? Ah, that dame burns me up. Just because her guy Richard is loaded with dough, she keeps harping on me to get a job. Well, Al, I think if you loved me, you would. If I loved you? Chicken, how can you hurt me like that? Hurt you, Al? If you only knew how thoughts of you stay with me everywhere I go. In the subway, the wheels go clickety-clack, clickety-clack. But in my ears, they're saying, erm, erm, erm. In the park, the wind caressing my cheek is just the soft touch of your fingers. Even in Coney Island, when I'm throwing baseballs, your face is always before me. Oh, Al, that, that's beautiful. I, I'm sorry I doubted your love. Don't want you to be sorry, chicken. Just want you to understand my problem. You see, there are two types of men. The weak-willed, who are always on the defense, and the strong-minded, who like to take the offense. Oh, I understand, Al. I've never found anyone more offensive than you. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. See, that's why, by nature, I can't work for anybody else. Well, why don't you work for yourself, Al? Well, that takes cash, chicken. And we'll just have to wait until I can get my hands on some. Oh, Al. Oh, what's the matter, chicken? I'm so tired of waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm afraid my children are going to be older than I am. <laughs> can't be helped, chicken. Oh, back already? Oh, hiya, Richard. Hello, Al. Jane has been telling me that you've been making snide remarks, that I owe my success to the fact that I was born with a gold spoon in my mouth. Well, that's ridiculous. You would have choked to death. Oh. <laughs> Irma, please. Now, Al, what you say is not true. I had to work for my success. Now, I admit my father gave me $1,000 to get started with, but from there on, it was up to me. So what? If anyone gave me $1,000 with my business mind, you'd see a new sign on Wall Street. J.P. Morgan and Al. Oh, Al, I think your name should come first After all, you're putting up the money <laughs> Irma, 
Irma, will, will you just stay out of this? Look, please? Al, what, what you're trying to tell me is that the only thing you want is a start, right? Right. Okay, Al. I've got a proposition to make. Huh? Now, Jane and I are terribly fond of Irma, and her future welfare is our chief concern. Now, since you say you can't work for anyone else but must be on your own, well, we want you to have the same opportunity I had. So here is my check for $1,000. Oh, I couldn't accept it. It's certified. Oh, that's different. <laughs> okay, Richard, thanks. Now I'll show you. Now, remember, Al, it's a loan, and it must be used in a legitimate business. Oh, legitimate, huh? Well, that may slow me down a bit, but I'll think of something. Say, ladies, how would you like to have a luxurious mink coat? Well, then, find out about the exciting Lever $100,000 fur contest. Hello? Oh, hello, Dottie. Say, listen, how would you like to have a real mink coat? No, I'm not kidding. You really can get one by winning one of the Lever Fur Contests. Why, all you have to do is tell why you like one of these. Swan soap, Lux Flakes, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. And we can enter as many times as we want to. Well, I have to dash. Turn on your radio right now and you'll hear more about it. Bye. There are 1,645 prizes in all. 329 each week in this $100,000 contest. Each week, the following prizes will be awarded. One gorgeous $3,000 mink coat. Three $1,000 fur coats. Five smart $500 fur jackets. As well as many other prizes of valuable furs and cash. And ladies, you may choose your own coat at your favorite store when you win. Or you can have the cash. Now... Here are the rules. In 25 words or less, tell why you like any one of these six Lever products. Swan Soap, Lux, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. Enclose a wrapper or box top from one of them. Print your name and address and the name and address of your dealer. He'll help you. Also, be sure to get your entry blank from him. It will give you all the information you need. This contest is limited to the continental United States, Hawaii, and Alaska. Mail your entries to Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Be sure to get your entry blank from your dealer tomorrow. That address, Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. You may win a luxurious fur coat or cash. So start writing your letters tonight. <laughs> It's been 24 hours since Al started out to set the world on fire with Richard's thousand dollars. So far, we've had no word from him. I'm not confident. Because knowing Al and his deals, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he buys a thousand dollars worth of peas, whitewashes them, and sells them for pearls. <laughs> Honestly, I'm really worried. After all, I was responsible for Richard lending the thousand dollars. Irma. What, Jane? wonder what sort of business Al is going to invest in. Hello? Hello, chicken. This is Al. Now, let me do the talking. Don't want Jane to know it's me. You understand? Yes, Henry. Got great news, chicken. Just bought a sensational heavyweight. Paid the $1,000 for his contract. He's got ten decisions and five knockouts to his credit. Well, that's wonderful. What business is he in? Chicken, he's a fighter. Name is Billy Boy. Gonna make a fortune with this guy. I don't crack to Jane till I get there. Want to see the way her eyes light up when I tell her. All right, George. 
Goodbye. Irma, I heard you say Henry. Why'd you say goodbye, George? Well, uh, uh, they're partners. <laughs> Irma Peterson, was that Al? Was it? Well, you'll never find out from me. Al would hate me if I told you. <laughs> what business is he in? Well, I-, I can't tell you until he does. Oh, well, all right. Then I won't try to guess. There's no sense in my knocking myself out. Oh, you guessed it. What? Uh, knocking yourself out. He's a fighter. His name is Billy Boy. What? A fighter? Oh, Irma, you... Come in. It's only me again. <laughs> Janie, why do you look so distressed? Oh, Professor, Richard loaned Al $1,000 to go into business, and he bought a prize fighter named Billy Boy. Sleeping Billy Boy. I know him well. He was married to a little waitress in the gypsy tea room. They finally got a divorce. Fighting? Yeah, she was always beating him up. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what I figured. Oh, why did I ever talk Richard into this thing? Well, maybe Billy Boy's making a comeback. Who knows? If they get the right match, he might win. Oh. Who with any kind of a name could he beat? Uh, Margaret (laughs) O'Brien. Come in. Hiya, folks. Well, I did it. What's all the noise? (laughs) Hey, Jane, why are you staring at me like that? You haven't heard the good news. Oh, you heard the good news. Well, I I didn't tell her, Al. She guessed. Al, how could you do this? Now, wait a minute. You don't even know the man. I admit the guy's been knocked out in his first ten fights, but he's coasting. Wants to find the right spot. Where? In the morgue? Now, look, Jane. I never was a chump, and I ain't one now. Got Billy Boy booked to fight gentleman Jim McKenzie, and I'm going to clean up? Oh, Al, you're out of your mind. Take it easy, Jane. Before you start condemning me, why don't you come down to the gym and take a look at my book? Oh, let's go, Jane. Gee, I haven't been to a gym since I went to school. Wait a minute. Where are you going? To get my midi blouse and bloomers. <laughs> well, here we are at the gym. Al, myself, and the bloomer girl. <laughs> and overpounding the punching bag is Al's fighter. Yeah, there he stands, a mass of something. I don't think he's very solid because the electric fan is on and he's rippling. But he does have an interesting face. Two large, bushy eyebrows. No, my mistake, that's his hairline. The man has no forehead. I don't know how to describe him quickly. Let us just say that if you printed the word brandy on his Adam's apple, he could pass for a St. Bernard. (laughs) But I must say, he has quite a punch. Now he's shadow boxing. He swings his right. He swings his left. Now he's down. I think his shadow hit back. (laughs) No. No, he slipped. Hey, Billy Boy, get up. What happened? Sorry, boss. It's this trick knee of mine again. Trick knee? Yeah. Well, you didn't say anything about that when I signed you. Don't like to talk about it. Does it bother you often? Oh, no, only when I fight. (laughs) Every time I get set to throw a punch, my knee buckles. And while I'm bending over to see what's wrong, they let me have it. But don't worry, boss. In a few days, I'm as good as ever. Well, Al, I have to congratulate you. Most promoters are satisfied just to buy a regular fighter. You, you have to be fancy. You have to get the collapsible model. (laughs) But he kept it a secret. 
The guy I bought him from said he was fast on his feet, very shifty. How should I know every time he shifted, he went out of gear? Well, Al, now that I've seen your fighter, I'll run along and tell Richard that he's poorer by a thousand dollars. What a businessman. Oh, gee, Al, I think Jane's unfair. No, chicken, she's right. Billy Boyle getting the ring, and in one minute he'll be down on his knee. Well, that's not so bad. That's the way Al Jolson started. <laughs> but I can't sing. Oh, Al, don't be downhearted. Ah, oh, please, chicken. What's the use of kidding ourselves? This guy is nothing. I've been taken, gypped, swindled. And there's only one honest thing to do. Well, what, Al? Try to unload him on somebody else. <laughs> and in a case like that, there's only one man who can help us. Who, Al? Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. Want to unload a boxer? No, not a dog. <laughs> Wait, I take that back. He is. <laughs> His name is Billy Boy. Yeah, that's the guy, yeah. Joe, I'm stuck with him. How can I unload him without people finding out about his knee? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. Put Irma on his lap and sell him for a ventriloquist. <laughs> Look, Joe, I'm in no mood for gags. I gotta think fast. So long. Nothing doing, Al? No, we're cooked. Out of my way. I'm ready. I'll kill him. Hold it, Billy. That's not the gong. It's the... <laughs> Hello? Uh, hello, Stillman's Jim. I, I want to talk to Al. Yeah, this is Al. What do you want, Richard? I understand you're not the financial wizard you set out to be. Don't rub it in, Richard. Now, what I mean is that I hear that you took your investment and didn't put it in, shall we say, a solid piece of furniture. Well, he's solid, all right, but how can I know he'd turn out to have gate-leg knees? <laughs> well, look, Al, uh, Jane's here in the office, and we want to talk to you. Come over here right away. You've gotten us all in a mess. I'll be right over, Richard. Goodbye. Chicken, it's murder. Can't work for others. Can't work for myself. Just don't know how I'm going to make a living. Oh, but, Al, what if Billy Boy beats gentleman Jim McKenzie tonight? Oh, chicken, he's got no chance to win. I tell you, the guy's a bum. Oh, gee, you sound like my own mother. <laughs> well, I got to go square myself with Richard. I'll, I'll see you. You know, miss, I don't think he has any confidence in me. Now we're ruined. <laughs> and it's all your fault. Mine? You see, Al can't work for himself and has to be the boss. And Richard has always been the boss and has the money. So he lent Al money so he could be in business like Richard, who has a gold spoon in his mouth, which he got from his father to buy you. <laughs> That's a little hard for me to follow. <laughs> you see, I'm a little punchy from fighting so long. Well, then I'll tell it to you more slowly and clearly. You see, Richard wanted to invest, so he left Al invest in you because of Richard's girlfriend, Jane, who rooms with me. But you being a bad investment, I can't get married, not to you or Richard. That is, because I belong to Al. <laughs> Lady, how long you been fighting? All my dreams have been shattered. Now I'll have to go back to Wisconsin. Wisconsin? You from Wisconsin, lady? Yes, I'm Irma Peterson. 
How do you like that? I'm from Wisconsin, too. You are? Well, when's the last time you were there? Oh, not since I started fighting. They won't let me back in the state. <laughs> There's a big debate going on over me. What is it? Wisconsin is trying to prove that I was born in North Dakota. <laughs> ashamed of you? Yeah. You see, I never want to fight. Well, why not? You're big and strong and you're from Wisconsin. Have you no state pride? Yeah, I'd like to win so I could go back to Wisconsin, but it's my knee. The minute I get in a ring, it buckles. I look down and the next thing you know, it's Fourth of July. Fireworks all over me. <laughs> well, well, don't look down when your knee buckles. Look up. Think of Wisconsin. It will give you courage. Well, I want my state to be proud of me. Tonight, when I get in the ring, I'm going to be a different man. I'll murder gentleman Jim McKenzie. Gee, I guess it was fate meeting you. Two lost souls, both from Wisconsin. <laughs> That's right. And keep it on your mind tonight when you're fighting. Wisconsin, the dairy state. The home of the contented cow. <laughs> the dairy state. Yeah, I must remember that. I must fight for dear old Wisconsin. Well, goodbye. I won't say good luck. I'll just say moo. <laughs> well, here we are at the fight. The gong for the opening round is just about to sound. Gentleman Jim McKenzie is coming into the ring, followed by his trainers. Here comes Billy Boy, supported by his trainers. <laughs> Al is beaming proudly. He's waving at the boxing commissioner with one hand and taking cigars out of the referee's pocket with the other. <laughs> now he's come over to join us. Got to hand it to Richard, Jane. He's got a great financial mind. Smart of him to make us all bet on McKenzie to beat Billy Boy. In that way, we'll get even and make a little. Well, things like that account for my success. And to use a Wall Street term, it's called protecting your investment. Say, here, here comes Irma. Yeah. What is she doing with a cowbell in each hand? <laughs> What's the difference? The fight's going to start. Yeah, sit, sit down. down. Sit down, Irma, sit down. Ladies and gentlemen, the final event of tonight's Elks Club Smoker, a ten-round bout to the finish. On my right... Weighing 185 pounds, that pride of Boston, Gentleman Jim McKenzie. What a pride! Money in the bank. And on my left, weighing 180 pounds, originally from Wisconsin, Billy Boy. <laughs> what is that, Irma? Well, Jane, you see, as soon as... Wait, honey, wait, the fight's starting. Shh. Well, there they go. Both fighters are in the ring. Gentleman Jim is pulling back his left. There it goes forward. And there goes Billy Boy downward. Well, folks, let's get ready to collect our money. Seven, eight, nine. Ooh. Irma, what are you mooing about? Oh, you'll see, Jane. See what? Oh, oh my goodness, what I'm now seeing, no one would believe. Billy Boy is up. But not for long. He's down again. Six, seven, eight. Ooh. Mooing. Oh, but you see, Jane... Oh, honey, be quiet. Billy Boy is up. He's a different man. Look! Now Mackenzie's down. Eight, nine, ten, you're out! <gasps> no! No! Billy Boy has won the fight! 
lights. Oh, I did it, Jane. I did it. And it was all because of my mooing. What are you talking about? Well, we wanted Billy Boy to win. And when I found out he was from Wisconsin, I got him to fight like a man. Irma, this may be news to you, but your mooing has just cost Richard $3,000. You see, we bet on Mackenzie. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Richard. I thought you wanted Billy Boy to win. That's why I mooed. You see, we're both from Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Irma, you were born in Minnesota. (laughs) Well, this is a fine time to tell me. Ladies, now with Swan Soap, you can get the kind of complexion care you've been dreaming of. Sure, because Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend gives you a wonderful new kind of beauty lather. A rich, mild beauty lather that cleanses so gently and rinses away so completely, your skin is left fresh, smooth, lovely as ever. So, for perfect complexion care, make your regular facial soap super-creamed Swan Soap. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Frank Bingman speaking. Spry. Cakes are light and high. Spry. There's a reason why. Spry. Cakes improve with Spry. Rely on Spry. You bet there's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonder. Spry has an amazing cake improver secret. Try the sure spry one bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has spry's cake improver secret. For new cake-making success, rely on spry. Pure, all-vegetable spry with cake improver. Rely on spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on spry. S-P-R-Y. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. to take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner, brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. First, folks, here's an interesting question. Do you feel that you need a change from the usual breakfast, tea, and coffee? The usual milk? I know my family does. It's like everything else, you get tired of too much of the same thing. There are many who can't drink milk or coffee either. Doesn't agree with them. Well, here's something that a lot of people are doing today. They're drinking Horlick's malted milk for breakfast. Besides being a welcome and delicious change, it makes an exceptionally fine beverage at this time of year. Your whole family needs the vitamins, the bodybuilding elements, the good nourishment that it contains. 
For this is spring, you know, the season of severe but unexpected colds. You need to keep your body in good condition. That's why we urge you to drink Horlicks. It's a great success as a food drink for breakfast. You can prepare it at the table in a minute simply by adding sufficient hot water and mixing well to bring out the delicious aroma. You can get Horlicks at your druggist's in either natural or chocolate flavor. And now, let's see what's happening down in Pine Ridge. Well, since Lum and Abner have taken over the management of their circus business, the business has improved. But their troubles have just begun. Yesterday, they discovered that the safe had been robbed and the entire receipts from the preceding day were stolen. As we look in on the old fellows today, we find Lum and Squire Skimp in the wagon that serves as their office and headquarters. Evidently, from their conversation, the disappearance of the money is still a mystery. Listen. Well, I'm just as anxious to find it as you are, Lum. I don't want you fellas thinking that I took it. Well, I ain't choosing nobody. All I know, I put the money in the safe night before last, and you was in here yesterday when I went to get it out, and we found it gone. Yes, but now that's no sign that I got it. Well, me and you and Abner is the only ones that knows the combination on that safe. And you know me and Abner ain't going to steal nothing from ourselves. Well, that's just the reason that I'm anxious to get the thing cleared up. Naturally, you and Abner suspicion me, Lum. I know that. But on my word of honor, I have notes in that safe since you and Abner joined the circus and took charge of the money end of it. I've done a lot of honorary things in my time, Lum. I'll admit that. But this is one thing that I'm not guilty of. Yeah. I can't help but believe you're telling me the truth, Squire, but I'll try and I... You ain't bad about walking in your sleep, are you, Squire? Uh, walking in my sleep? Yeah, I just thought you, you might have walked over here in your sleep and took the money out of the safe unbeknownst to yourself, either. Well, you and Abner's been sleeping right here in the wagon, Lum. If I'd have come in here, why, you'd have surely known it. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. The lock on the safe there ain't been tampered with at all, so whoever got the money is bound to know the combination. Yeah, it, it looks like it, sure. Oh, where did you get that safe, Lum? Why, it come with the circus when we take a need over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't seen any uh, suspicious-looking characters uh, hanging around the wagon here in the last few days, have you? Uh, no, not that I know of. So what about Cedric? He hangs around the wagon here right smart long. Oh, well, it ain't Cedric. I know, no. He's as honest as a day is long. Well, yes, but the uh, young boy that way, he's easily influenced, you know. Somebody else might have put him up to it. In the first place, Cedric don't even know the combination to the safe. Couldn't open it if he wanted to. Well, he's been uh, around here, you know, quite a lot. He's uh, seen you and Abner open it, and he might have memorized that combination, Lum. Law me, <laughs> Not Cedric, no. He couldn't memorize nothing. I just soon tell him what the combination is. He couldn't recollect it long enough to get back here and open it, no way. No. And he can't hardly recollect from one day to the next what his name is. Yeah, well, of course, I'm just thinking of all the possibilities. Oh, I'll talk to him, ask him about it, but I know it ain't him. He don't even know what day or what month it is. <laughs> well, in a case like this, Lum, you want to consider everybody guilty. Yeah, they can so. But I know everybody never took it. Uh, what I can't understand is how anybody could have come in here and broke in this wagon and opened that safe and took the money without waking me or Abner one. Well, now, of course, it uh, might have been done in the daytime, Lum. No, no. We always keep the wagon locked up in the daytime unless me or Abner one is right here with it. Or else I leave somebody here with it to watch it for me. Like yesterday morning, I was gone for a few minutes, but I left Zenora's brother here to keep an eye on the safe. Uh, Zenora's brother? 
Yeah, he run over here yesterday morning and said Zenora wanted to see me around back of the big top right quick, so I got him to stay here in the wagon. I weren't going more than ten minutes, no way. Well, now, I believe we're getting summer, huh? Uh, I, I thought that fella had a pretty shifty eye on him. Yet, uh, Squire, if you're fixing to accuse him, you're just getting off on the wrong track. In the first place, he's Zenora's brother and would no more think of stealing than he would have fine. In the second and third place, he don't even know the combination to the safe. And we know that whoever took the money did know it. Yes, that's right, so. Well, it looks like it's about lets him out, then. Why, well, sure it does. Lum, are you sure that you put the money in the safe night before last? Why, sure I put it in there. You ain't fishing me, are no, you, No, 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 I just thought that you might have hid it someplace else, you know, and forgot about it. No, sir. No, sir, I've got proof that I put the money in the safe right after the show closed, night before last. Well, you say you've got proof. Yes, sir. Right after the show, Zenora was complaining about being hungry, and I told her I'd take her over town there and buy her something to eat. Mm. But we come by the wagon here first for me to put the money up, on account I didn't want to be packing that much cash on me. And she sat right there in that chair, right there, and seen me open the safe and put the money in the shoebox. And I can prove it by her. Oh, Zenora, then, was in here when you put the money up, huh? Yes, sir, I can prove it by her. Well, um... Uh, wouldn't it have been mighty easy for her to watch you work that combination and come back here now, later? Now, wait just a minute, Squire. Just stop right where you're at. Don't you start accusing that little woman of having anything to do with this. There's this fine a little woman has ever grown Well, now, love, I ain't saying that she done it. I well, just said to leave her name out of it. I can tell you right now, she never had a thing to do with it. Well, all right, Lum. It's your money. That's the way you feel about it. Why, it's all right with me. Yeah, that's the way I feel about it. Every time anybody's name's been rung up, you've tried to pint suspicions at them, and I'm getting good yeah, and tired of them. What's going on in here? Well, come on in, Abner. It's about time you opened up the ticket office, Lon. There's a big crowd gathered around here in front of the tent. There is. Well, I, I expect I better get out there and make my spiel in. Yeah, I'll be around there quick as I get some money out of the safe for change. Well, I'll go ahead and get the crowd gathered in, Lon. All right. Hmm. Now, what's the matter with you and Squire? Sound like he's arguing about something. Yeah, he's trying to say Zenora was the one that taken that money out of the safe yesterday. Well, what's your reason for saying that she done it? I ain't never had none. That's what made me so mad. You know, Abner, I'm getting sort of suspicious of Squire now. Wow. <laughs> no, I, I don't believe Squire done it. Yeah, he's the only one that knows the combination outside of me and you. And he's got a key to the wagon, too. Yeah, but I, I still don't think it was him. Yeah. What got me more suspicious than ever... I've been cross-examining him here. He has? Cross-examining him. Examining him. And everybody's name that was brung up, he tried to make me think that they was the one that done it. Well, I reckon he's just interested in trying to help them. That's reason. Yeah, huh? but I've been trying cases in my justice of the peace court for a spell of years now. You don't mind notions on it. When you see a feller pinting his finger at everybody else, accusing him, you better watch out for him. Squire's trying to lay this on everybody else's doorstep except his own. Accusing Zenora. The very idea. Uh, who else did he accuse? Well, he did same as accused me there once. You? I wanted to know if I if I was sure I put the money in there. I already got up right then and wait a minute. Come here, Cedric. Come here a minute. You ought to got up and done what, Bob? Nothing. I want to talk to Cedric. Squire was accusing him too. Accusing Cedric? Why, he never done it. I know that. Why, of course not. He don't even know the combination on the safe. Why no. Where are you going, Cedric? Oh, uh, oh why, uh, uh... I was going, uh, I, I was, <laughs> no place, uh, I don't even know, I was just... Well, uh, come on in here, Teddy, come inside. Yeah, I want to have a little talk with you. Sit down over there. Yeah, sit down, Teddy. Yes, Mom. What do you want to talk about? 
Uh, Cedric, uh, you might have known of it, but uh, there was some money took out of the safe here sometime yesterday. Oh, yes, sir, I know about that. It was four hundred and thirty dollars and seventy cents. Yeah, that's right, Cedric. That's just what it was. Yeah, yeah. You don't know who took it or nothing like that, do you? Well, why, of course he don't, Mom. You know what Cedric never took it. Well, I know the reason you wouldn't know Cedric, but there's another fellow around here that's sort of accusing you of it. I wanted to cross-examine you so I could prove to him that you don't know nothing about it. Yeah. Yes, Mom. Well, Mom, you just tell Squire that Cedric don't know nothing about it. Just put a stop to that right now. I did accuse him, Cedric. Another thing, Mom, you better get on around there in front and folks will be wanting to buy a ticket and can't get in the show. Yeah, well, i got to get my tickets and change together here. Uh, run around in front there, Abner, and tell Squire to keep his spiel going till I get there. Yeah, well, you hurry up, old. He can't talk all day. Out. No, I'll be there directly. Yeah, let's see. I've got to get in that safe again. If I can recollect the combination. <laughs> sort of slips my mind. Let's see. Starts here at north. Just more. And then around to the right to 70 and back to... Back to 20. Yeah, yeah, 20. And then back to 45. I recollect that. <laughs> and then let's see. Uh, back to 70 again. Yeah, that's right. 70, yeah. Yeah, that ought to open. Yeah, that's got it. Let's see. I better take about $20 out for... Wait a minute. Uh, what's the matter, Mr. Lum? It's gone. It's gone again. Look at that. I put $211 in here last night, Cedric. Somebody dropped that safe again. I know. Yeah. What do you know about that? Maybe you can tell us how this money is disappearing. We still have a little time left, folks, and I want to use it to read a letter from a good friend, a doctor in Indiana. He says, I have been practicing medicine for 25 years, most of those years in a country community where there were many characters like Lum and Abner. I have used Horlick's malted milk for babies for many years and always find it reliable and sure to furnish the proper food for every need of my bottle-fed babies. We in our family also use a lot of Horlick's malted milk as described by Carlton Brickert, your announcer, and find it just as he describes. Although, for that matter, we had been using it for many years before he became a radio announcer. Yes, many years before anyone ever dreamed or heard of radio. End of quote. Well, thank you, Doctor, for your letter. Your reference to using Horlicks many years ago is especially interesting. Every day, we get an amazing number of letters from folks brought up on Horlicks many, many years ago. Then, as now, it is the great American food drink for all ages. You can get it, you know, at your druggist in either natural or chocolate flavor. This is Carlton Brickert, speaking for Lum and Abner and Harley, who now bid you all good night and good health.
Let's turn back the clock about 24 hours and drop in on Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. They're just returning from a football game. Well, here we are, home at last, and boy, am I hungry. Oh, so am I. Let's start thinking about some food. Big, juicy hamburgers, maybe. Say, that's for me, with plenty of ketchup. Uh Uh-huh. Del Monte ketchup. It has such marvelous flavor. And Mrs. Johnson really knows her ketchup. Del Monte ketchup. The zestiest, liveliest ketchup that ever pleased a man. Now that football season is in full swing, you'll find Del Monte catsup a bigger help than ever when planning lunches before the game or supper afterwards. It's a smart hostess who serves hearty food and lots of it, with plenty of Del Monte catsup handy to add bright, rich, spiced tomato flavor. Yes, that marvelous tomato flavor you find in Del Monte catsup, the only catsup made with pineapple vinegar, that superlative vinegar that coaxes out all the best in tomato flavor. Remember, for real zip and zest, it's Del Monte catsup every time. Next time you go shopping, look for Del Monte catsup. You'll like its quality, and you'll like its thrifty price. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names and locations have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes. Best of all long cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You answer an early morning call. A police officer on patrol duty disappears. Any attempt to contact him by car radio fails. Your job... Find him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke extra mild Fatima. Yes, Fatima is the king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. To give Fatima a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, June 4th. It was sultry in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. My name's Friday. It was 6.45 a.m. when we got the Imperial Highway. San Pedro cutoff. All right. Friday and Romero? Yeah, that's right. Pete Sutton, Sheriff's Department. How are you? Hello. We got here as soon as we could. Inspector Bowers fill you in? Yeah, Ed Backstrand, Central Homicide, told us to check with Bowers at the Sheriff's Office. And Bowers directed us to come out here and lend you a hand. This thing happens close to the county line. They figure both departments ought to go to work on it. Sure, glad to have you. Looks like a tough one. Is this the highway patrol car the missing officer was assigned to? Yeah. This is just the way we found it. We turned off the ignition. Motor was running, lights were on. 
Must have been idling quite a while. The temperature was up pretty high. When did you find it this way? 45 minutes ago. Missing patrolman's name is Eugene Brewer. State Highway Patrol called the Sheriff's Department a little before 6 a.m. Told us the missing officer wasn't acknowledging his radio call. I talked to Mark Benson. Is the radio all right? We checked it. In fact, it was operating normal when we found the car. Mike was out of the bracket, laying on the seat there. Well, any ideas? No signs of struggle. No blood stains. This asphalt here. No footprints anywhere. Nothing on the shoulder of the road. You said the car was running? That's right. That eliminates any engine trouble. Yeah. No, there's more to it than that. Gotta be. Nobody has any idea why or when he left his car. You've got it all. You know as much as we do. What was the check on Brewer? Mark Benson says he's one of their top men. Been with Highway Patrol for eight years. Good record all the way. Have you talked to anybody around here? Pretty remote spot out here. A lot of truck gardens. That's about all. My partner, Dave Terry, turned up one man. Maybe he's got something. That's him over by our car. Hey, Dave, would you send him over here, please? Who is the fellow? One of the farmers. Works at truck garden out here. Name's Henry Taniguchi. Lieutenant Sutton? Yes, sir. Mr. Taniguchi, this is Sergeant Friday in Romero. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. I know you filled my partner in, but uh, would you mind going over it again for us? Oh, all right. I can tell you very little. You know, we start work early in the garden. Yes, sir. Conrad, uh, a fellow I work with, Conrad uh, Ishikawa, uh, we start in the string beans about uh, 5 o'clock this morning. A uh, beam patch uh, near Imperial Highway. Yeah. Uh, we notice a headlight stop off the side of the road. This happened all the time along the highway, but uh, this stayed very long. Mm-hmm. About what time did you notice this, Mr. Taniguchi? Uh, must have been uh, oh, 10 minutes uh, past five. I remember asking uh, Charlie uh, Fujikuni, our cultivator man, what time it was. I see. Did you see or hear anything out of the ordinary? Oh, no, sir. Uh, we wait a while, and uh, Heather, I do not move. Uh, Conrad and I decide that maybe somebody was in trouble. This highway quite deserted early morning hour. What'd you do then? Uh, we walked up to see what was wrong. Uh, when we get close, we could see what state highway car, so we know everything all right. Mm-hmm. Did you see the officer in the car? Oh, no. The uh, door was open on the other side. We thought maybe officer investigate something down in the brush. Did you see him down there? Oh, no. We just think he was uh, check up something. So we go back to work. You saw nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unusual? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, we hear radio play. We know everything okay. That checks out. The radio was functioning when we got here. Mm-hmm. You didn't notice any other cars around anywhere, did you? Oh, no, sir. Thank you very much, Mr. Taniguchi. Uh, here's my card. Appreciate it. If you think of anything else, please let us know. Oh, yes, sir, I will. Uh, what happened to officer in this car? We don't know. Oh, he's all right. Uh, probably uh, look for somebody. Well, that makes us even. We're looking for him. Monday, June 4th, 8 a.m. According to our instructions, we headed back to the Hall of Justice to check in with Inspector Gordon Bowers and Captain Garner Brown of the Sheriff's Department. They were coordinating the search for the missing highway patrolman, Eugene Brewer. Inspector Ed Backstrand, Central Homicide, was helping out. To the peace officer, cooperation with all branches of the various law enforcement agencies is essential. Each man on the force knows the value of a coordinated effort. He knows that without the aid of the many divisions of law enforcing bodies in his city and county, the task of maintaining law and order would be a total failure. 
The local officer depends on the men in the federal, state, and county departments as they depend on him. Without this coordination, no one department could survive. 8.25 a.m., we met with Inspector Bowers and Ed Backstrand in the sheriff's office. Nothing, huh? Nobody saw him. If somebody did, we haven't found him, Inspector Bauer. We both figured the only thing to do was to ask for cooperation of the newspapers. We got it. Pretty good layout, huh? The stories in every morning edition in town. They're running a picture in full description of the missing patrolman. Well, we talked to everybody we could find in the general area out there. We worked two hours at it. The spot where the patrol car was found is pretty remote. A couple of gas stations, some vegetable gardens. We told you about the Tanaguchi fellow. Checked all his friends that worked with him. They couldn't add anything. Maybe the newspaper will turn up something. I sent a special detail out there to fan out and search the entire area. Five square miles. Yeah. It'll take time. There's nothing else we can do. No, there's nothing more we can do. There's nothing anybody can do until we can show them the patrol cars how to carry two men. Nobody seems to be able to do anything about it. Yeah, maybe they will now. Sending one officer out in a patrol car is like trying to run a trolley line with one man. How many cases can you remember in our department? Ed Dudman pulled the car over in Dogtown at 3 o'clock one morning. I remember. The driver turned out to be a guy with a record. Dudman couldn't know that. While he was making out the traffic ticket, the guy shot him down in the street. Dudman died before he could get help. Yeah, we do a lot of griping in the detective division, but those men in the patrol cars and the motorcycle boys... They get the dirty end of the deal for sure. You bet they do. When a detective is sent on a job, he knows who he's after, what he looks like, what he can expect when he finds him. The boys in the patrol cars answer a call, a 390, a 415, a 507. Sure, we know what they're supposed to be, but how often do they turn out that way? Prowler, a peeping Tom. How many times do they have a gun in their pocket? How many cops do they kill every year? We've all been through it. We know what it is. Yeah, but how often do we think about it when we're griping on stakeouts? Let me tell you something. This goes for me as well as you. Let's not forget who the real cream of the force is, the backbone of any police department, men on wheels. No question there, Skipper. Sorry, I didn't mean to make a speech, but when something like this happens, it gets to me. We're riding on short odds as it is. There ought to be two men in every patrol car. Well, we should have been somebody else with Brewer. The guy on the job just doesn't disappear without a trace. It's just what he's done. We've checked everywhere, everything. Excuse me. Powers. Who? Yeah, send him right in. This might help. Truck driver by the name of Matt Wolf says he's got something for it. Come in. Mr. Wolf? Yes, sir. Come in. Mr. Wolf, Inspector Backstrand, Sergeant Friday, and Romero. Hi. How do you do? Hi. Right. Um, I saw the story in this morning's Times. I don't know if what I got's worth anything, but I figured I'd better pass it along to you guys. Something on the missing highway patrolman? Well, I, I don't know. The reason I'm here, maybe it's just a coincidence, but I gave a fellow a hand earlier this morning out of the Imperial Highway, not far from where the paper here says the empty patrol car was found. About what time was that, Mr. Wolf? All around 4.30 this morning. You want to tell us about it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm an independent trucker. I haul topsoil for different nurseries. Stuff out there in Imperial is good, rich stuff. We dig it right out of the side of the hill. Yes, sir. Well, I just loaded up, and as I'm on my way back to town, this fellow flags me down. Said he'd had a flat, pulled out on the shoulder of the road to fix it. Said he didn't know it was sand. After he'd fixed the flat, he found out he stuck. He couldn't get his car. You gave him a hand, huh? No, not with the flat. He already had that fixed, but I towed him out. I see. That's how I became suspicious of this fellow. How do you mean? Well, I offered to get out and hook up the tow chain. He said, no, no, just stay in a cab. And I figured if he could do it alone, it was all right with me. Well, I pulled him out. But here's the funny part. Yes, sir? A chain got a kink in it from the weight of the pull. It's no mean job to handle that alone, but 
fixes it. He'll do it himself. Seemed to me like uh, he didn't want me to get a good look at him or his car. I, I could be wrong, but, well, that's the way it struck me. Did you notice anything? Yes, sir, I did. For one thing, I got a look at him when I threw on my backup lights in, in his car. That's a real funny one. What do you mean? Well, this is a fairly new car. I'd, well, I'd say no older than last year's model, Plymouth. Well, at the risk of sounding completely nuts, I'm going to tell you that car looked like it had just been painted. There's nothing wrong in that, is there? Well, there is if you're off on the side of the road that time of the morning throwing cheap black paint all over a fairly new car. If he's using a spray gun, I could understand part of it. What's that? There's his license plate. The front one. It was all painted over. You, you couldn't read any of the numbers. Mm-hmm. What led you to believe he just finished painting his car? All his hands and arms. It was all over his clothes. Oh, I see. It's that kind of paint you put on the rag, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Was it, was it worth bothering you guys about? You bet it was, Mr. Wolf. I can't tell you just what it means now. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but certainly it's out of the ordinary and worth reporting to the police. Well, I hope so. I'd like to see you boys find that missing officer. Something's pretty rotten in Denmark about that one, huh? Maybe we found a hole. Maybe. Friday, I'd like to have you and Romero help out in the next step. What's that? Throw up a roadblock. a.m. Before we left the sheriff's office, the truck driver, Nat Wolf, gave Inspector Bowers a description of the man in the Plymouth sedan. Together with Lieutenant Pete Sutton and Dave Terry, we drove to the Imperial Highway. Nat Wolf showed us the spot beside the road where he towed the man. The area was checked and sample scrapings of the black paint were taken. There was no chance of taking a tire impression because of the loose sand in the area. All physical evidence was taken back to the crime lab for analysis. Nat Wolf returned to the office to check through mug books for possible identification of the man he helped out. Meantime, a special detail of men continued to search the area where the missing patrolman had disappeared. 3 a.m. According to instructions, a roadblock was established at the spot where the abandoned patrol car had been found. Imperial Highway, San Pedro cutoff. Police business? Yes, sir. wonder if you could help us out. Certainly. You travel this highway every night, ma'am? Yes, I do. I'm in the vegetable business. Did you come this way last night about this time? I run pretty much on schedule. Yes, I did. Did you notice anything unusual along the highway? I bet I know what this is about. That missing highway patrolman. Yes, ma'am. We're stopping everybody to see if they can give us any information that might help us out. I wish I could, but I didn't see a thing. That poor fellow. Do you think you'll find him? Mm, We're trying awful hard. Sorry, I can't help you. Can I go now? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. How'd you do? Nothing. What time you got, Joe? Uh, almost four. Got a little more hot coffee in that jug. You want some? It's fine with me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Cups in the lid here. Thanks a lot. Watch your fingers. It's hot. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I'll take this one. I'm going to put my coffee on the fender here. Don't knock it off, huh? No, I Thank you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, fella. Can you see my light? I haven't even got a cigarette. I mean my flashlight. 
I got a cigarette lighter. If that'll do you any good. You've been drinking, haven't you? Yes, I have. I never get drunk, but I've had a little drink. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to pull over to the side of the road. Okay. What happened to my car? It's broke. You better let me do it, huh? You want to slide over a little bit there? I'll never pick up hitchhikers. No, I'm just going to move your car off the side of the highway now. Any trouble, Joe? No. It's 502. We'll have to hold him a while. We'll tell your friend to get in, too. It's a sedan. We're not going far. Where are we going? Right here. Is this the road to Pismo Beach? No, sir, not this one. Well, that dirty little Ernie, he lied again. He hates clams. What's that? I've been trying for five months to get to Pismo Beach for a bowl of clam chowder. I haven't made it yet. All right, you just sit here a while and sober up, will you? I'm going to hold on to your keys. I'll give them back to you. You haven't got a bottle in the car, have you? No, I never drink and drive. Alcohol and gasoline do not mix. Yeah. Do you drive this road every night? Every night. Ernie keeps telling me to take me to Pismo Beach. I love clams. You just sit here and sober up. Happy drunk? Yeah, he's too drunk to drive. Yeah, getting along towards daylight. Where'd I put my coffee? Oh, I put it over here, Joe. Afraid we knock it off. Oh, thanks. This one's mine. Okay. Hmm. You seem to come in bunches. You get two or three, and then you wait for an hour. Yeah, they don't use this highway much since they put through that alternate, you know. Police business. Yes, sir? You travel this highway every night about this time? Once in a while. Haven't been over this way in a week. You didn't drive this way last night. No, sir, I didn't. Anything the matter? Routine check. Thank you very much. You can go on. Nothing. Well, it looks like a hopeless job, doesn't it? Hmm, business is picking up. Here comes another one. Looks like one of your sheriff's cars, Pete. Yeah. Reynolds, homicide. Pete Sutton? Yeah, Reynolds. You can pack up. They found him. Is he all right? Two bullet holes in the back of his head. listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of Northwest Airlines stewardess Jean Madsen. You'll see her picture in leading magazines this week. Now her actual signed statement. There's one thing I really look forward to after a long flight, a good mild smoke. That's why I prefer king-size Fatima. It's milder than any other long cigarette I've tried. Yes, I agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And so do more and more smokers every day. Actual figures show extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. The king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different, much better flavor, and aroma. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Best of all, long cigarettes. (laughs) 5 a.m. Tuesday. 
The body of Highway Patrolman Eugene Brewer was found half-buried in a shallow grave approximately four and a half miles from the point where his car had been found standing on the highway. The scene was roped off, photographed, measurements were taken, and the area carefully gone over for any physical evidence. A few scattered residents were again checked and asked if they'd heard gunshots. Since the nearest dwelling to the place where the body was found was two miles, there was a possibility that they could have not heard the shots. No one could give us any further information. The coroner's autopsy showed that Patrolman Brewer had been shot three times in the chest, one bullet directly entering his heart. He'd also been shot twice through the base of the skull. 1 p.m. Wednesday. I get it. Homicide, Friday. Pete Sutton, Joe. Yeah. Just had a call from our Hollywood substation. Woman reported her car stolen on Sunday night. Thought the guy was going to bring it back. That's why she didn't report it sooner. What about it, Pete? It's a Plymouth sedan, last year's model. Same type the truck driver told us about. Sounds good. We already have a broadcast out on it. We're putting out an APB now. You want to check and see if they got it on tonight's hot sheet? Right. Anything on the guy who stole the car? Boyfriend of the woman who owned it. He left her in a restaurant and got away with her car. You remember the description of the guy the truck driver helped out Monday morning? Mm Mm-hmm. The guy that stole this woman's car, it's the same. Yeah. Still doesn't prove he had anything to do with it. Doesn't prove he didn't. Together with Pete Sutton and Dave Terry from the sheriff's office, we drove out and interviewed the woman whose car had been stolen. She told us that the man who had taken her car had also been seen in the company of one of her girlfriends, a Miss Helen Farrell, who worked as a cashier at a Hollywood theater. The Farrell girl identified the man as Mike Lapino, and she gave us a snapshot of him. She also gave us his last known address. We had no actual tie-in between the theft of the woman's car and the murder of patrolman Eugene Brewer, but the circumstantial evidence made it at least worth checking out. The only car known to have been in the vicinity the morning of the murder was the car the truck driver, Nat Wolf, had reported. The same make and model car had been stolen the night before the killing. The general descriptions of the man from two different people tallied closely. We figured before we'd pass this lead by, we'd check it out all the way. 4 p.m. Wednesday, we met with Inspector Bowers at the sheriff's office. We checked this Lapina's apartment, found a shirt and a pair of pants, black paint on both of them. I sent for that truck driver, Nat Wolf, to identify this picture here. You find anything else in the apartment? Well, this address book, there's no local places in it. They're all Las Vegas, Nevada addresses. That's it, huh? Yeah. What'd you get from the record bureau on the guy? The eye bureau pulled the package on him. That is Mama sheet. Thank you. Mike Lapino spent some time at San Quentin. Armed robbery, grand theft auto, assault. Pretty good record. I'm still not positive he had anything to do with the Brewer killing, but he's had the training for it. Yeah? Send him right in. Matt Wolf. Mm-hmm. Come in, Mr. Wolf. Thanks. Dirty shame about that boy. Read about it in the paper. Yeah. Got a photograph we'd like you to look at, Mr. Wolf. You bet. Yeah, that's the man. Yeah, sure. Sure. No mistake. Hey, uh, why do you suppose he was painting that car at 4 o'clock in the morning? Maybe that's what that patrolman wanted to know. We waited for an answer on the APB. Two days passed. Saturday, June 9th. Received a phone call from the Las Vegas, Nevada Police Department. The stolen black sedan had been found in the downtown area of Las Vegas. We requested them to put a stake out on the sedan and ask them not to disturb either the car or its contents. Together with Pete Sutton from the sheriff's office, Mark Benson from the highway patrol, and Ray Pinker of our crime lab, we flew to Las Vegas. 
Pinker checked the stolen car. Embedded in the rear seat were two spent bullets. There were also bloodstains on the seat and on the floor of the car. Pinker flew back to Los Angeles where the evidence was analyzed. The bullets found in the car were fired from the same gun as the bullets found in the body of the dead patrolman. Fingerprints lifted from the stolen car matched those of Mike Lapina. Saturday afternoon, we checked in with Chief Harry Miller, Las Vegas Police Department. This is all you've got on him, huh, Chief? That's most of it, yeah. Since we staked out that black sedan, I've had the town covered for Lupino. No one saw him abandon that car, huh? No one we know of, no. Had good cooperation from the newspapers. The story's been on page one since the thing broke. Anything come of those names we got from Lupino's address book, the ones we phoned to you? Uh, let's see, I got the list right here. Yeah, here we are. These are the ones my men have checked out already. George Connolly, nothing there. Harry Carlson, he and his wife have been checked out, nothing there. William Spencer, nothing in his place. We've got them all staked out. At least two to go, huh? That's right. We're checking the last two now. Nothing from the railroad stations, the airlines? They've been covered ever since we got your phone call. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think your man's still here in town. Any reports on him? A couple of wild ones, nothing definite. Checked him out. Had one this morning from a dealer at one of the clubs downtown. About 10.30 this morning, he saw Lupino playing the two-bit slot machine. We showed him his mugshot. He swears it's the guy. Well, all we can do now is sweat it out, huh? My men have covered everything. I don't know what else we can do. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Chief Miller. Yeah? You sure it's him? No, don't try to handle it alone. Keep the place covered the best you can. We'll be right out. They found him. Two Las Vegas detectives named Billings and Vance answered a phone tip from a grocerman in the east end of town. He said a man had been buying groceries from him for the past two days and lived in the apartment house above the store. The two detectives showed the groceryman Lupino's mugshot. He gave a positive identification. They then checked with the apartment house manager. After looking at the mugshot, he identified Lupino as the tenant in apartment 10B. Detectives Billings and Vance staked out the place until our arrival with enough men to cover the area. Yeah, Chief. What's the story? Well, he's in there. Hasn't been out all day. Apartment 10B. We'll take the front, Chief. The manager thinks Lupino has a gun. Maid was cleaning the apartment, found some loose slugs in the dresser drawer. You still want it, Friday? Oh, it's our headache. Joe and I will go in, Chief. Right. Vance gets the men up on the roof to cover. We've already fanned him out around the building. I don't know what they tell you in L.A. on one of these things, but here we tell them to be careful. Right, Chief. Joe? Let's go. on the second floor. Well, let's take the stairs here. All right. Long way up, isn't it? Yeah. This way. Got two left. Well, she's got another gun. Well, let's take him. One good kick ought to get the lock. Right. Just a minute. Well, let's go, Pete. Uh, watch it. I got it. Let watch go, that go. gun, will you? Drop it. Look here. Oh. 
Let alone Lapino. I got it. All right, come on, get up. You all right, Pete? Okay. I get the cuts. What's the big idea? You tell us. You killed that patrolman. He got tough. You didn't have to kill him. Spotted the stolen car. What else could I do? Come on, you. He had as much chance as I did. That figures. Yeah. Two bullet holes in the back of his head. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names and locations were changed to protect the innocent. On October 2nd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 91, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. The working detective knows that every member of his local police department is a qualified man. He knows that his fellow peace officers have been carefully selected to perform their specific duties by trial, by examination, and by results. And so, with a cigarette... The makers of Fatima carefully select and blend only the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos to make Fatima extra mild. Best of all, long cigarettes. If you're a long cigarette smoker like I am, smoke Fatima. Every pack is extra mild. Fatima. Michael Everett Lupino was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. The jury failed to recommend the death penalty. Lupino is now serving his life term in the state penitentiary. Ladies and gentlemen, the Los Angeles Police Department requests the cooperation of all Dragnet listeners in the following police matter. The Los Angeles Police Department would like every and any information regarding a gun fitting the following description. 38 caliber special Smith & Wesson revolver gold seal model. The gun has a blue steel four-inch barrel. The serial number is 210088. 210088. If you have any information as to the past or present whereabouts of this gun, contact W.H. Parker, Chief of Police, Los Angeles, California. This is a very important matter. All information furnished will be held in strictest confidence. Thank you. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Coming up, Duffy's Tavern. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. What's wrong? Wrong, brother. You mean what's right. The Kelvinator division of Nash Kelvinator has agreed to stand by tonight and let Nash have the whole show. And this is why. Just listen to this telegram from Nash. Okay to announce big news. Stop. All Nash dealers, coast to coast. Now, get this. All Nash dealers will have the new Nash on display tomorrow. Say, that's the news I've been waiting for. You and a million others, Kurt. And what an eyeful they're going to get. That new Nash 600 and Nash Ambassador are two beautiful automobiles. You mean you've seen them? Seen them? I've driven them. And believe me, I never knew what driving meant before. Is the Nash 600 really big? Even bigger than you thought it was going to be. And how about economy? Does the new Nash 600 really deliver 25 to 30 miles on a gallon? Like a breeze, Kurt. I want to know... Now, look, you two, look. 
Why ask me about the new Nash 600? I could talk all night about that unitized body and coil springing, but it all adds up to a new thrill you can discover for yourselves tomorrow. And you better get there early, folks, because everybody wants to see the newest new car in America. So why not make it a family affair? Take the kids and neighbors, too. You've waited a long time for this, but man, it was worth it. Just wait till you see the new Nash on display at your dealer's tomorrow. That's what we've been waiting to hear. Now let's make with the music, okay, Vic? Let's get going again. Folks, the biggest show in town is opening tomorrow at your Nash dealer's. Now, you may think you've seen everything, but wait until you see your first new Nash 600. Sure, it's beautiful, but it's not just a new model. It's a new kind of car. So new, so different, you'll just have to see it to believe it. Think of it, 25 to 30 miles on a gallon of gasoline at moderate highway speed. And it's big. Plenty of headroom, leg room, and elbow room for six large people to lounge at ease. And it has a weather-eye conditioned air system and a convertible bed, coil springing on all four wheels. But words can't describe the new Nash cars. You've just got to see them to appreciate them. They're terrific performers. And so much smoother, so much quieter, so much easier to drive. But don't let other folks try to tell you what they're like. See the new Nash 600 and the Nash Ambassador yourself. Tomorrow at your Nash dealer. They're there right now waiting for you. One look, and you'll know why we say you'll be ahead with Nash. Starting tomorrow... The new Nash will be on display in your local Nash dealer's showroom. You want to see it. Everybody wants to see this great new Nash car. See that Nash, that new Nash, now it's on display. What a car for this new world, and now it's on its way. We can shout, we can sing, and still we'll never say. All the things this great car got, just look, it's on display. Starting tomorrow, the new This is the log of Magnus Carter, aboard Space Force, en route for the planet Mars. The preparations for takeoff were not without incident. Whilst out in the desert some 200 miles west of Cairo, we sighted a giant meteorite. It crossed the western horizon and seemed to crash, but an intensive search failed to find any sign of it. Next day, Chipper and Lodric got lost in the intricate system of passageways beneath the ancient steppe pyramid at Saqqara. There they encountered two strange figures and a huge ancient Egyptian sunboat. This, Lodric believed, was the colossal meteorite of the night before, but apparently it could no longer fly. Lodric and Chipper had been directed to the boat grave in the hope that they could repair the vessel. When this was found to be impossible, they were released. There was no opportunity to investigate their experience because our expedition began the next day. Then, less than 24 hours out from Earth, freighter number one reported two stowaways aboard. Well, who are they? Do you know? They claim to be Cometians. What? Cometians. 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 Cometians.
Kemetians. People from Kemet. Where's that? Never heard of it. Have you? Yes, I have. What? Have you? Where is it? Kemet is the ancient name for Egypt. Ancient Egypt? How could stowaways possibly come from there? Hello, Freda One. Receiving you. I'll have to come over to interrogate the stowaways. Very good, sir. Meanwhile, keep them under strict surveillance. Magnus, you better come over too. Get your suit on. Very well. Hello, Freighter One. Loderick Sincere, flight engineer calling. Receiving you. Would you mind asking the stowaways their names? Already done that. What are they? Don't laugh. He says his name is Marianka, and hers is no friend. Just as I thought. Space Force, an intergalactic adventure by Charles Chilton, starring Barry Foster, Nigel Stock, Nicky Henson, and Tony Osoba. Episode 2, The Red Planet. Do you know these two stowaways? Not really. I encountered them briefly a few days ago. Oh? Where? In a boat grave. A grave for boats. Something ancient Egyptians used to build to bury funerary boats in. What's that got to do with stowaways? Well, that's what I'm hoping Saxon and Magnus will find out. They're already on their way over. Then I'd better get ready to receive them. Call you later. Yes, sure. Okay, Chipper. Fill the airlock. Air on. Airlock filled. Open the door. Thanks. Ah, oh, that's better. Here, Chipper, take the helmet. Lodric, help, Magnus. Thank you. What did they say, the stowaways? Nothing. At least nothing sensible. The man, uh, Merianka, kept repeating a lot of nonsense about his being keeper of the sunboat of the great god Ray. That's right. What do you mean, that's right? He is the keeper of the sunboat. Oh, you believe him? I saw the boat. Chipper said it was just a replica of an ancient Nile boat. Made of bundles of reeds tied together. Yeah. They may have looked like reeds, but they weren't. The boat was made of some kind of metal. I couldn't identify it, but it would never have floated, that's for sure. Merry Hanky said it flew across the sky with the sun. That's what he told us. He must be crazy. What do you think, Magnus? The things he says certainly make him sound crazy, but... Uh, well... Yet in some ways, if you made some very liberal allowances, he could be talking sense. Oh, an ancient boat that sails across the sky. What he's saying ties in exactly with what ancient Egyptians believed, that every day the sun sails across the heavens in a boat piloted by gods who were once kings on earth. Mary Anker doesn't appear very godlike. He's a priest of a very high order. But he can't be an ancient Egyptian. What about all that nonsense of the sunstone? That was the craziest thing I've ever heard. When you examined the boat, Lodric... What exactly did you find? Uh, nothing much. I soon saw the boat wasn't made of reeds, nor wood, nor any of the conventional boat materials. Nothing else? Well, there was the deck house. Yes? It contained a coffin, probably from sarcophagus in the tomb we found in the pyramid. It stood on another sarcophagus which opened at one end. Inside it was unbearably hot. What was in it? I don't know. But if the boat could fly... I'd say the sarcophagus contained its motive power. What kind? Atomic. Light particle, magnetic. Could be anything. 
Whatever it was, it gave off a tremendous heat. And light, too. You mean that the meteor that passed over Cairo was a flying boat? Very likely. And the one you say you saw in the boat grave? Yes. That's too fantastic. The meteor's direction of flight would have taken it right over the position of the boat grave. Except it didn't pass over. It landed and went in. No, no, no. It would explain the brightness of the meteor. It was like looking directly at the sun. Exactly. No, I'm not convinced, and I'd need a lot more evidence before I were. Well, we've plenty of time to collect it between here and Mars. We taking those nutcases with us? We have no choice, Chipper. It would ruin the expedition to turn back. What about somebody coming up and collecting them? There's no spacecraft fast enough to overtake us. Then maybe Freighter One can find them something useful to do. They're not staying in Freighter Number One. Huh? They're coming over here. What? Where we can keep an eye on them and interrogate them further. Well, you're the fleet commander. Any objection to their coming? No, no. It's just they give me the creeps. Especially him. She's not so bad. <laughs> objection overruled. Now clear the computer. I want to send a report back to base. Yes, sir. While I'm here, I might as well collect in the news bulletins. See what's happening down on Earth. Is that the news coming in, Chipper? Yes, Magnus. Put it up on main screen. Then we can all see it. All righto. Any cricket? Hello, what's this? That's Cairo, isn't it? Yes. Egyptian Museum. What's been happening down there, then? Looks like a robbery. Turn out the sign, Chipper. OK. And at first it was thought the prime motive was the theft of the golden objects associated with the king and his tomb. What's happened? But as the most right, precious of these were not disturbed, it is assumed some other motive must be behind the theft. I wonder. The museum has stated that they have as yet no idea how the thieves managed to break through the tight security that surrounds the exhibition, nor how they managed to remove the objects. Cairo police are leaving no stone unturned to track down the thieves and to have the national treasures restored. This is the first time an attempt has been made to rob the museum of the Tutankhamun treasures since they were discovered nearly a hundred years ago. <laughs> now back to London. That was Colin Westchurch from Cairo reporting on the recent robbery of Tutankhamun's mummified body and some of the ancient treasures from the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. Oh, well. And now more home news. As the miners' strike enters... Turn it off, Chips. My mummified body, eh? Stolen? Could this be any relation to our two stowaways? I don't see how. Ludric, you said they took a body from a tomb in the Steppe Pyramid. Yes, but they left the treasure behind. That seems to be the case in Cairo, too. Chipper. Yes, Axel. Get on to control, get a full report on the robbery, find out exactly what treasures were taken and how, if they know that much. Right away. Meanwhile, we'll have the stowaways transferred over here. What? Now? We'll ask them about the robberies. Their replies may give us a clue as to what they're really up to. Have you had enough to eat? Thank you, my lord. lord we are honoured by your concern for us. I'm not your lord. How about you, Nofret? Uh, would you like some more? I am satisfied. And equally honoured by your lordship's kind attention. Why do you keep calling me lord? Are you not lord of this mighty fleet of sunboats? We are humbled to be in your illustrious presence. Well, there's no need. Just settle down and relax. We must ask you a Permission few more... Permission first yes, want... for us to ask you. Very well. Is this boat sailing for Kemet? No, for Mars. And the boat we just left is sailing beyond... Into the asteroid belt, which is where we'll all end up eventually. Yes. No one escapes. It is the will of the gods. Huh? What does she mean? We thank you for your kindness in taking us to Kemet and not the netherworld. But as you say, we all arrive there in the end. Netherworld? Kemet? What are you talking about? We're going to Mars and then to the asteroids. That is so, my lord. 
Would you like to have a go, Magnus? I'm not getting any sense out of either of them. I'll try. Now, listen, both of you. I hear you. After we got back from Freighter 1, we received some news from Earth that will probably be of great interest to you. Yesterday, the Egyptian museum at Cairo was robbed. The body of King Tutankhamun, along with the chests containing the canopic jars, were all stolen. Recovered. What do you mean, recovered? The museum was robbed. No. King Tutankhamun's tomb was robbed, and the plunder was placed in the museum. What do you mean? Now it has been recovered. You had something to do with it? It happened yesterday. No fret and I were aboard Freighter One. How could we be in a museum on Earth? You seem to be pleased at the news. The king has been lost and then recovered. That is a time for rejoicing. To us, it is just robbery. You robbed a tomb yourself, didn't you? Marianne can rob a tomb? That is blasphemous. You must apologize. You have hurt him deeply. Well, then I'm sorry, but according to Lodric, Marianka removed, or had removed, the body of a high-ranking noble from a tomb in the steppe pyramid at Saqqara and put aboard a boat. That was not robbery. That was his holy and bounded duty. To remove bodies from tombs? What for? To carry them to the netherworld. That is the right and hope of all persons of high rank and pure blood. She just said that the asteroids are the netherworld. No, my lord. You said the netherworld was the asteroid. Is that where you claim to come from? We are from Kemet. Which we call Mars? Yes. <laughs> There's no life on Mars. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. But you claim to have come from there? We have. All the way from Mars to Earth just to rob a museum. This beats anything on TV. Quiet. I'm oh, sorry, but this is stupid. You Your can't... lord said to be quiet. My lord? Who did... Silence. Your pardon, my lord. We are not robbers. Earthmen are the robbers. They have been plundering for thousands of years. Whenever we come to recover the remains of our ancient kings, we find that Earthmen have plundered their tombs and stolen and scattered the holy relics. So they could be seen and admired. They're of great historic as well as monetary value. It is declared that the dead shall dwell in their sacred houses forever. They are not to be plundered and exposed to public show. Only Earthmen would plunder the dead. They are savages. From the very beginning, when our people first went to Earth, they have been savages. When was that? When the desert was still green and the land was rich. Before Earthmen learned to grow corn. Before he learned to make fire. We who taught him to make fire. You. Our ancestors. Why don't you tell us what you're really up to? Right. Tell it straight, without the imaginative bits about uh, sun gods and ancient kings and teaching prehistoric man to make fire. We came to collect the remains of our illustrious dead and carry them to their eternal home. Our ship broke down and would not fly. So we are unable to return. What are you doing aboard this fleet, a stowaways? You are our only means of getting back. For which we owe you much thanks. Thanks, nothing. You could jeopardize the whole trip. I must report all this to control down on Earth. Of course. Meanwhile, we have made temporary quarters for you in number two hole. May not be very comfortable, but at least it's heated. Thank you. You'll receive a fair ration of food and the use of a spacesuit should that be required. We shall find some work for you to do throughout the voyage. Chipper. Show them the way to the hole. Yes. This way. Into the airlock.
In you go. While we're waiting for the air pressure to even up, Nofra, I'd be glad if you'd tell me something. If I can. What is a canopic jar? When a body is mummified, the viscera must be removed. The organs, the liver, lungs, stomach and intestines are placed in separate jars, each guarded by one of the four sons of Horus. The jars are canopic jars. Yes, well, ask a silly question. Further questioning of the stowaways failed to throw any more light on their claims. They soon settled into the ship's routine, and we began to accept them almost as bona fide members of the expedition. They proved very helpful and willing, and treated Saxon with an almost embarrassing deference. Their approach to him was as to a very superior being. They seemed in many ways to regard themselves equally superior to Chipper and Lodric, though this cut no ice for them. At last, after a flight of almost a year, we reached our first destination, the planet Mars. Pictures of its grim orange surface had been filling our televiewer and navigation screens for some time. We were all looking forward to landing on its surface. We were to set down on the rocky plains in the vicinity of the Valles Marineris, where the first of our preliminary tasks was to be carried out. The two freighter spacecraft which accompanied us from Earth would continue their journey into the asteroid belt. At last the day came when we were forced to part company and prepare for our Martian landing. 800. Pressure rockets fired. 700. Release landing tripod. 500. How does the surface look, Magnus? A bit rocky, but we'll be okay, I think. 300. Early supports unfolding. 200. Increased thrust. 100. 50. 25. 10. Stand by. She's down. Cut gyros. Cut motors. Gentlemen, we've made it. We're on the red planet, Mars. Hello, flagship. Freighter number one calling. Hello, freighter number one. Receiving you. Are you down? Yes, and in one piece. Uh, hello, freighter one. We've landed safely. You can leave your Martian orbit and proceed towards the asteroid belt as scheduled. Thank you for your company. Thank you for yours. See you in six months. Hope to have the asteroid ship ready for use by then. Thank you, number one. Good luck on your trip. And to you. Over and out. They seem happy enough. I wonder how the stowaways fared down there in the hold. Mm. Hello, number two hold. Can you hear me? We hear you very well, my lord. How was the landing? Not too rough? No. It was an excellent landfall for such an improbable device. And Nofret, she all right? I thank my lord. Yes, you are very kind to inquire. Good. Well, get yourselves up here as soon as you can. There's plenty to be done. We are coming. Right away. And that applies to the rest of us. We'll be working to a very tight schedule from now on. Well, that completes post-landing schedule. I suggest we have supper and then turn in. We're keeping a watch. Huh? What for? Nothing lives up here. Mary Yankee and no frets say they do. Uh, how could they? No air, no water, nothing growing, nothing to eat. <laughs> if they think they can live under these conditions, I'd like to see them do it. Where are they, by the way? Down in number two hold, presumably. Oh, Chipper, give them a call. Hello? Hold number two. Bridge calling. 
Hello? Hold number two, bridge calling. They don't answer. But they couldn't have left the ship. Shall I go down and see if they're all right? Yes, you Hello, better. bridge. This is Marianne. Oh, oh, there you are. I'm very sorry. I had gone to sleep. And no fret? She is sleeping too. Sorry to have disturbed you. Don't you want any supper? No, thank you. Oh, very well. Uh, we have an early start in the morning. You can help us prepare for our first expedition on the surface. It will be an honor to be of any assistance. That is all. Good night. Good night, my lord. I'd like him to miss his supper. All he eats like owls. Yes. Hey, Chipper. Mm. You awake? Hmm? Oh, no. Wait. Yeah. Oh, yes, sure. I haven't slept a wink. <clears throat> then you won't mind getting up. What time is it? 5 a.m., Marshal. 5 a.m.? You want me to get up? To see a wonderful sight. What? The sunrise. I saw the sunrise years ago. Not over Mars, you didn't. Come on. Magnus is already in the observation dome. You can't miss it. Well, if you say so. I'll be there in just a minute. Well, that is something, I must say. What are all those coloured rings in the sky? Caused by the ice crystals in the atmosphere. Ice? I thought there wasn't any water on Mars. Very little, if any. Then how can you have ice? There may be enough for some atmospheric crystals to form. But those are probably crystals of carbon dioxide, and there's plenty of that. How red it all is. Just like early morning in the Egyptian desert. And the soil looks just like sand. Yeah, it does. Should make Mary Anki and Nofret quite homesick. Why aren't they here? They must be still asleep. Uh, go and get them, Lodric. I'm sure they wouldn't want to miss a sight like this. Right. That canyon over there. The Valles Marineris. Valles Marineris? What does that mean? Valley of the Sea. I see no sea. Uh, not now, but there might have been one long ago. It was probably water that cut the canyon. That's where we'll begin the main survey. What, down there? Not in it. Along its rim. How deep is it? Four miles. Four times the depth of the Grand Canyon in America. Really? And more than 30 times as wide. And it's 3,500 miles long. That's pretty big for a small planet. And the mountains higher than those on Earth. The volcanoes are. Volcanoes? Don't worry. They're all extinct now. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Hello, Magnus. Lodric calling. Hello, Lodric. What is it? Trouble. What do you mean? They're not here. Hey, what? This is the most incredible thing. There's not a sign of them. How could they get out? They got in. What? Before we left Earth, they got into Freighter 1. They stowed away. They could have slipped past the guards before takeoff when the doors were still open. Most unlikely. And how about the museum? Hmm? Nobody's explained how they got in and out of there. They were already space-born while the robbery was taking place. They were. But their friends, those who formed the crowd for Chipper and Lodric's fake pyramid walk, they weren't space-born. They must have robbed the museum. You think they can walk through closed doors? No, but they obviously have some way of opening them. And ship airlocks, too. It is incredible. An eccentric old man and an innocent girl. I wonder what their next move will be. Eh? Well, they must be up to something. And I reckon we'll be the victims of it. Blimey. But if they did go out through an airlock, how do they manage to breathe? In an atmosphere of carbon dioxide. We searched the ship a second time, but there was no sign of Marianka, nor Nofret, nor any clue as to how they could have left the ship. We gave up looking for them, 
reported the matter to control, and Saxon and Loderick got ready to take their first trip on the Martian surface. They left the ship in the land explorer by way of the vehicle bay, each clad in spacesuits. The door opened to reveal the vivid orange-colored ground gleaming in the sunlight. Then the ramp from the bay to the Martian surface was lowered, and they moved out into the sunlight. Loud and clear. Can you see them, Magnus? They're just coming into view. What's it like out there, Saxon? Very red. Very rocky. They're kicking up a lot of dust. Turning. 45 degrees left. Coming round the side of the ship. Going out of view again. Hey, wait. What's up? There. The ladder from the personnel airlock. It's extended. Then that's the way, Marianka. No Nofrek got out. Looks like it. We'll continue our reconnaissance. Every word. Surface a mixture of rocks and red sand. Sand supports land vehicle well. Rocks small enough to present only minor obstruction. Larger rocks visible on horizon. Some very large indeed. Now climbing, gentle incline. We can see you. You're very close to our horizon. You'll soon pass over it. Now you're on the horizon. What a view! Such colours! Never saw such colours! What, the sand? No, no, the rocks! Absolutely brilliant! Astonishing! We'll take a closer look, collect a few samples. The valley is rather deep here. You'll lose sight of us for a while. Right. There's a large rock ahead. Must be a good 200 metres long. Such an odd shape. Oh? Almost pyramidal, but very weathered. Well, you must be able to see the top of it. We can see the tops of lots of things. Give me a bearing from the ship. I'd say roughly uh, 24 degrees left. Yes, 24. Yes, I can see a peak. Look, there, Magnus. Oh, yes, somewhat pointed. That's it. Can you see its base? No, horizon blocks of you. Well, we're going down. Keep listening. Hello? Hello? Chipper calling. What's the problem? Uh, no problem, really, Saxon, but it's more than ten minutes since you called. Oh, sorry. This is such an interesting spot. The mineral content of these rocks is extraordinary. Where are you, precisely? On the far side from you. In the land, Explorer? No, no on foot. The transporter can't go everywhere. Are you close together? Of course. We're going to move up the rock face a little way. What is spacesuits? Right. Pyramid steps. Next thing they'll be telling us, I found a step pyramid. <laughs> oh, good heavens! Oh, Lightning like a gun feed. Look at us. Where did he come from? Quick, get out, Arthur. Wait till I find a switch. I'm as blind as a bat. Hello. Saxon, here are you. Saxon, what is it? In that episode of Space Force, Magnus was played by Nigel Stock, Saxon by Barry Foster, Chipper by Nicky Henson, and Loderick by Tony Osoba, with Wendy Murray, Willoughby Goddard, Mia Soterio, and Bernard Brown. 
Space Force was written by Charles Chilton and produced by Paul Mayhew Archer. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.